Hey there, David S. Pumpkins. This is Inyash. <laughs> Forgot that was the name I chose. Uh, hey, Inyash, this is Steven. Okay, Steven, why is your name David S. Pumpkins? It's, it was one of my backup ones for when I couldn't think of one. Oh, okay, cool. It's a good name. Good, yeah. good bit. I'm David Pumpkins, man. <laughs> yeah, but who is that? His own thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we should definitely link that in the in the show notes. Hundred percent. Didn't we link it once before for some reason? Uh, there's always cause to link it again if we did. So, okay, that's true. So, Stephen, why are we here? Oh yeah, I'm glad you asked because we forgot to do that last time. Uh, this is the podcast called "Not Everything Is a Clue," where we discuss Alexander Wales' web serial "Worth the Candle." We do indeed, and we have a Patreon where you can help support us if you would like. We appreciate that very much. Uh, we kick back 15% to Alexander Wales, and also he has his own Patreon, which we also link to in our show notes, so you can support him directly if you would like that. But, you know, support us too, because we're here, and, and we'd also like the money. <laughs> uh, if you have it and, you know, you want to. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, no pressure. No, no. Uh, okay, Although they, so they get, they, they get the occasional boon, so right every now and then we have a we little try. bonus something. Oh, and it comes out a day early, right? And it comes out a day early. I really enjoyed that uh, pitch meeting thing that that we did, but I know that was a lot of work for you. It wasn't too bad. It's just been hectic the last few months. I want to do, you know, I tell you what. By the end of this, I will have done. Well, I I don't want to commit so hard. I will try to do a pitch meeting for every book in the series or in the oh. story. Wow, okay, that's a lot of them. Yeah, should be doable. Okay. Maybe they'll get repetitive, we'll see. No, well, I, we, we will try our... Not we. Whenever you have the time for another one, I will be happy to do it, and I will uh, moderate my my uh, enthusiasm a bit. I was a oh, bit I, I over think you did the great. top. I think I was a little over the top. We're practicing. That's true. Okay, well, uh, we have a couple unorganized thoughts at the top here before we jump in. So uh, the first thing I'd like to mention is that Worth the Candle is coming to an audiobook retailer near you if you have Audible. So, <laughs> which uh, is basically like 98% of all the audiobooks out there are through Audible anyway. Uh, all of Amazon's stuff is through Audible. But uh, every, yeah. every few years, I have a reason to re-up my, my Audible subscription. Mm-hmm. And I just turned it off again for like, I don't know, a few months ago. Mm -hmm. And now I got to go back. Oh, no, wait. Uh, I still have credits left, actually, I think. Perfect. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. The so only it, downside is that it wasn't done by the same guy who brought us the HP MOR audiobook. Oh, I know. Well, you know, they, they, I, you got to give other people a chance to break into this industry, too, man. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it is narrated by Eric Michael Summerer. Summerer. Hmm, two R's there on the end. Uh, who I don't personally know uh, or know of, but uh, the point is it's going to be available here in a few weeks. You can pre order it right now. And uh, for anyone who is not in the know about the industry, pre orders and week one sales are like disproportionately important uh, for for all sorts of metrics and and getting a book uh, out there more. So if you know you're going to buy it anyway, either pre-order or buy it the first week really is very helpful for the uh, author. But, you know, buying it at any time at all is really cool too. But yes, this is going to be out in, in an official platform, an audiobook format, and he's aiming for right around the same time, hopefully the same week, but maybe it'll be offset a little bit, also having an uh, ebook available 
uh, but you cannot pre-order that just yet. But yeah, it's going to be like a legit official thing that people can get and uh, pitch to their book clubs, which I am going to do. <laughs> and uh, I'm very excited. The cover looks really damn cool. It's got two miniature figures from like a, you know, D&D session. Uh, and I'm excited to to get this. Okay, well, um, two things. One, are you planning on reading this a third time with your book club? Uh, I'm planning on... I guess making them read it, and then you can just talk about it from memory. Exactly, yes. (laughs) Smart. I've read it twice now within the past year, year and a half, so I I don't think I need to reread it a third time. And the... um, Oh, Worth the Candle Through Adversity. Oh, that's oh, so right. He's he's named the sub the sub books then, huh? Yes, and this one actually, I believe, is the first three books. It ends uh, with the one where they uh, take down the unicorn and cure the rat rot, which I believe they rescued Amaryllis at the end of book two from Amon, and she still had the rat rot then. And then the third one was like Larkspur, and then getting the unicorn blood. So yeah, I believe that's book three. Nice. All right. So Mother Learning is also under the you may enjoy section. Um, oh, nice! I need. I won't dick around on the air while I'm trying to figure out uh, why where my like two free purchases went. But I'll do that later. Um, point is, it is available. Wait, zero credits. Get fucked, Audible. Anyway, um, <laughs> is that why I couldn't find? This was the other thing I was going to ask about. Is this why I couldn't find a um, like an EPUB version? Because I had one from a while ago, and then I went to go make sure because I think I got it when we first started the story, mm-hmm. and since then he finished it. So I wanted to go grab like the new one, and I couldn't find it. I don't know. I believe you can still get it from Archive of Our Own, and they let you do EPUB versions. Okay, I'll have to go look on there then. I think I was looking at alexanderwales.com or something. Oh, well, that is possible. I'm not sure. No, I bet it's on AO3. I'll check there. Okay. Cool. Well, that's super exciting. Hell yeah, that's awesome. And then also, you have a note here, stubbing your toe analogy. Uh, what, what is the stubbing your toe analogy? What the hell was I talking about? It just says, organize this later. I ask myself Uh, that every time we talk. (laughs) (laughs) I hang up and I'm like, what the hell was Steven talking about? Oh, it was, I think, um, I might've mentioned it last week, but I can't remember if I did or not. My my thinking was that like, if, so I had assumed that during these chapters, because I hadn't read this stuff yet, that like June was going to be the one to talk with Bethel. Mm. And uh, I was like, okay, so you know, it takes time to get over stuff, but he can fast track that with his spirit magic, right? So yeah. like if they talk and he realizes like, okay, great, things should be good, right? But mm-hmm. then it just takes the time. He can just skip the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he like, you know, comes to the sober, conscious understanding that things should work out. and Oh, I see where you're going. We should probably save that for the in the, in the episode discussion then. Yeah, I, I guess just the, for the toe analogy thing was just like, uh, and this this is more spirit magic in general. I'll make it broader. Um, so what I like about it is that it seems like you can do the things where it's like, okay, I know I, I want my brain to do this. I know I can do this. So why don't I just make it do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you like ever bang your toe on the edge of furniture or if you burn your finger. Um, no, man, I'm I'm too coordinated yeah. and and cat like for that and impervious to damage. But for the, too, for the rest yes. of us, uh, it, it you you hurt yourself you you know, retract from the pain and then it still hurts. Yeah. And I just wish the part of my brain that was feeling the pain or telling me that I was in pain or whatever could tell, or I I could tell that part of that, my brain that like, Hey, I'm aware of what happened. Won't happen again. Thanks for the heads up. 
but you can't do that. But <laughs> yeah. with spirit magic, it sounds like you can. Yes, it does. So <laughs> that's where the stubbing your toe analogy came in. Um, all right. That's that's all I had there. Okay. it's I like the analogy. Yeah, spirit magic. Hell yeah. Let's move into chapter 167, Beach. Yeah? Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Oh, this related to spirit magic was the first thing I pulled out. Um, I think he's laying there like, oh, they were playing um, whatever you call it. That one where you're on each other's shoulders in the water and trying to push each other over. Yeah. Chicken, I believe he called it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's got Amarillo's on his shoulders, which, you know, should be fun, sexy, you know, beach time, right? Mm-hmm. But instead, because he can multi-thread, he's able to win at chicken and sit there and be in a panic about, you know, all the uncomfortable PTSD stuff. Yeah. And it occurred to me that because we were, we were talking about how awesome multi-threading would be, mm-hmm. I think it might be a bit of a curse sometimes. Yeah. Because there's lots of times that you need to distract yourself from something, and uh, it's great that you can do that. I mean, yeah, if you like need to distract yourself, that'd be fine. But like, I think what would be nice if you could turn off multi-threading whenever you want. Because like, yes, I want to be able to get in a zone or a flow state or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if you're if you're there watching the movie you've been waiting to watch for six months, and at the same time you're like able to give it your full attention, but also like plan other stuff or whatever in your mm-hmm. head it's just like i want to be just fully into this right i i really hope multi-threading would let you be fully into it anyway but i don't know how multi-threading would feel like from the inside so maybe it wouldn't that's true and i gotta think too that if we're running with the computer analogy multi-threading means that you can multi-thread not that you have to i hope so right? but it, it almost seemed like he had to at this point because why would he not have turned off multi-threading then I guess it could be like sort of an obsessive thing where even though you know you shouldn't think about something, you can't help it. It could be that, but then he'd be just, you know, his spirit would be just as weak as the rest of us, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I I guess it's it probably just allows him to devote full attention to two things, you know? Oh, man. Whereas, like, you know, you and I get distracted by those sorts of intrusive thoughts or whatever. He doesn't get distracted. He can just fully focus on it. I think multi-threading would be a curse if you're ever trying to fall asleep. Like, maybe you could never sleep again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> unless unless you get to complete exhaustion but yeah like lots of when i go to sleep i often have to like read something or do something to like you know shut my brain up a bit because otherwise i'll just be thinking about all kinds of stuff that's awesome yeah usually i'm pretty tired so like i i fall asleep quickly but it just occurred to me we have no idea how hard it is to fall asleep while having multi-threading because he literally hasn't slept since he got it <laughs> yeah maybe he doesn't even need that ring he can he'll just be up all night you know spinning in circles chasing his dreams or chasing his thoughts yep poor june yeah um oh i wanted to pull out the rule i thought this was cute um so amaryllis like pulled out stuff from like walmart catalogs and she's like oh yeah this is all as close to your hometown as i could get the brats are from ash creek meats you know i got a phone book and looked at the businesses which is enough to let me specify things like close to your house and he's like wow stalker and <laughs> i interpret that as a friendly joke which makes that super cute yeah um, i think and how so thoughtful too. is that it's pretty cool like there, there's a non-zero chance that like he could have had you know oh yeah i ate there before right yeah yeah that, that's really cute does ash crack meats look at all to you like ass crack meats? Sure sounds like ass crack meats. <laughs> it really does. I wonder if that was intentional. 
Ass crack you saying it might be near, a clue? <laughs> ass crack meets near Bumblefuck. I don't know. It's probably not a clue. Maybe just like a joke or something. Mm, it sounds like we're onto something. Uh, there we go. I'm, I'm slowly unraveling this this mystery. Uh, oh, okay. So we get right into the heavy stuff. Uh, June explains to Amaryllis what happened with Bethel, and she makes mm-hmm. me very happy by reacting exactly like I'd really hoped she would. Yeah, that was a relief. She's staring out to sea. And just says, when I'm finished with her, there won't be a piece big in a, bigger than a splinter. Mm-hmm. And just when you believe in somebody and you're right about it, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that his anxieties weren't right or weren't accurate. Me too. And just, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I guess we were just kind of worried that it wasn't, she wasn't going to be that understanding because she always seems kind of like thinking about the most most practical thing, the most pragmatic thing in any situation, but she was just like on his side immediately from the very start. And I was, you know, I I felt like I learned a little bit more about Amaryllis from seeing that. I guess that means she gets a plus one loyalty from me. Yay. I was going to ask you about that. Um, So great. Yeah, it was cool. And she even says that I've had plans in place for killing her since we first met her, which made me like very happy because it, of course she does. She's Amarilla. She's a boss. She's like Batman, you know? She, she, or she's just someone who realizes that they're living in a crazy murder house and doesn't simply accept it. She's, she's always on top of things. I was going to say the exact same thing. That was essentially my exact note. Okay. Uh, like, fuck yeah, you would. Cause of course, or fuck yeah, you'd have one. Cause of course you would. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she's Amarilla. So we should have never even doubted. Right. I mean, she's she's got a you know a plan to kill her and like a willingness to kill her were two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, totally. I was thinking though, as they were talking and going on about this, I kept thinking more about you know both Amaryllis's and Raven's side of things that they've been living inside this house for I think at least weeks, maybe months now, and the house has like literally assaulted Raven and mutilated her. Although you know she got better. <laughs> and uh, Amaryllis is constantly being threatened with death and sort of terrorized and and just being constantly made. She always knows that she is like at Bethel's mercy and Bethel hates her and could kill her at any point. And I was just thinking like they've they've just been here and sucking it up and taking it, even though they're in an incredibly hostile environment that is their house. Like, none of them got raped or anything, so obviously June has it worse, but, like, also, the whole time up until now, June was just like, hey, whatever, I think this house is pretty cool, me and her, we can get along, and, like, it wasn't until he got raped that he realized it's kind of stressful living in a murder house that hates you, or that you're afraid of, and, I don't know, made me think he's sort of an insensitive ass and could have thought about that. Yeah, well... I mean, they could have voiced their concerns, too. And, you know, they all seemed to think the pros outweighed the cons, except for maybe Raven, who was just like, well, if I want to hang out with you guys, I have to live here. Um, you know, and I remember she mentioned that, or Bethel mentioned that she would, like, show up and, you know, peripheral of Raven's vision just to fuck with her once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, they've been living under this constant stress. And I think I think that's why, like, in the last chapters, June was talking about, um, like, I can't remember his exact phrasing, but he felt weird for like how quickly his position shifted on her. Mm. And it's like, yeah, it's cause you spent all this time kind of like defending her. And now that the spell's broken, you're like, Oh man, all this shit. 
Yeah. And yeah, it's uh it's 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 a lot. <laughs> it is. It just makes me makes me give June a minus one loyalty a bit, realizing, you know, how much the rest of his companions have been dealing with this and he just didn't didn't even think about it. I mean he was dealing with the same shit. For so the most he, part. He didn't feel nearly as threatened. He had like a bromance going on or something. I mean, he felt threatened enough that he thought that, you know, telling her to go fuck herself almost literally would, might end up in, with him being killed, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it wasn't, it didn't really come out to him that this was a problem until that particular moment. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because at that point, you know, I think he had assumed like, oh, okay, yeah, she's got her sharp edges, but she's amenable. And then in yeah. the second that she demonstrated herself not to be, he's just like, oh, shit. Um, so, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's he's just kind of been a little bit oblivious of others the whole book. So this is this is not shocking or anything. It just, I guess I was oblivious of his obliviousness as well up until this chapter. So, yeah, me too. That's the um, thing I realized about me. No, yeah, that, that's a good point. I pulled another quote just about, Amarillo's reaction here. Um, actually, two. So uh, I just, um, oh, I think I put in here that she's the best. And if Enosh doesn't love her now, then I don't <laughs> think it's possible for her to win him over. Yeah. Um, she's pretty cool. Yeah. And she she's like kind of in a frenzy and, you know, stumbling over her words. And she says, I'm, I'm doing this wrong. I'm not Juniper. I love you and I care about you. And I want to support you in whatever way helps you get through this. Let's get that clear before anything else. I'm in your corner. Yeah. And I'm just like, damn it, she's the best. And she's motivated mm-hmm. by Color Me Shocked love, which is awesome. This is the thing that I think she turned off before. And I think that she's a better person since she allowed herself to feel love again. Oh, you think she... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's... And I, I guess I'd have to see her soul to be sure. I'm not sure if she turned down her romance in him, but I don't get the feeling that she had romance in him. I got the feeling that she had love in or love for him, right? And yeah. she turned that down. You know... Maybe she's being a worse utilitarian, but honestly, I think that that makes her a better human. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I, I, I I'm a consequentialist, but you know, not to the point where I'm willing to be a complete robot, you know, and throw my kid into the fire to pull out two strangers. You know, yeah, like fuck that, exactly. Um, and she's, and as far as you know, being in his corner, she says, if any of them give you less than their full unadulterated support, I'll deal with them, hmm. and. I just love it because, like, she's going to shoot whoever doesn't back him fully right away, right in the balls, and I love it. Good friend. <laughs> that was cool. Speaking of which, I guess uh, one of the uh, not companions, one of the the people here, almost got shot in the balls. But I guess we'll cover that when we get to it. Oh yeah, yeah. She she's Palad is very Fen. Yeah. Well, well. Yeah. Fen Fen would have had his back in this, but the way she reacts is is Fen in any other con. In fact, I think Fen did the exact same thing at some point. Before I forget, the thing was like, she's like, okay, hold on. So Bethel could be listening because we don't know the full extent of her powers. And oh, she that, kind of yeah. looks up at the sky and she's like, I didn't agree to any of this. I, I'm not a part of this. <laughs> You're uh, right. I think when they were talking, was it when they were talking about, it was, it was literally in Bethel, wasn't it? I think as they were approaching the front door or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Man, I, I, yeah, forgotten about that already. Me too. Until just now. Yeah. I, frankly, Pallet is just a pink fan. Um, yeah and the fact that oh wait was paladin and fen ever in the same room no wait well mm, they met briefly right before fen got killed huh yeah yeah i was gonna say i don't think they ever interacted no but if if they had happened to never been in the same room i could totally get like the 
this is a mind wiped version of Fen, and now you'll have her back when you do the right spirit magic to her or something. Oh. Um, and just like this was a DM kind of pass, but it doesn't seem like that's what's going on. I don't get that impression, but no, but it could have been. Could have been, yeah. Um, the <laughs> they remind they okay. Alexander Wales reminds me uh, that the time chamber is in Bethel. Uh, and without the time chamber, that's going to jeopardize basically all of Amaryllis's dreams and their Republic because they were raising the, uh, the frog people uh, in the time chamber. And like that, I had forgotten that that was the case. And now that's in jeopardy too, because of this Bethel shit and God damn, she just fucked everything up. Yeah. I mean, at the very least they're teenagers now. Yeah. Um, and I don't know exactly what she needed. I don't know how many frog people she had. On the order of 100,000 or something, right? Some stupidly high number. It was definitely... I don't know if it was 100,000 yet, but was, I felt, feel like it was in the tens of thousands. I feel like a, a fertile female tune could have 500,000 in her life. But maybe this is just one or two litters or batches or whatever you call them when they're fish. Yeah, um, I think so. So, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a ton. Um, at least... You know, they're out of the house for a week for no good reason slash narrative contrivance slash, right. I guess, Val fuckery. Um, I did but, like that later when it was revealed that Val was kind of behind it. It wasn't just coincidence. I was like, oh, neat. I, Val is Batmaning too. I liked the explanation that we got, you know, so like it's not just like, oh, yeah, for the first time ever, they're out of the house for a couple of days. And this is also when the house fucks off, right? Mm-hmm. Um so I like that there's an explanation, but I don't like the explanation because I'm pretty sure Val's up to something and I don't like it. Ooh, we're going to have to get to that when we get to Val chapter then. We will. Okay. There was, when they're talking on the beach here before they're uh, telling the rest of the group about it, talking about leaving Bethel and Amaryllis says, I'm very thankful that we live in a world where uh, that's possible, leaving her is possible, where you wouldn't be forced to. And then like she stopped cut. Because in the middle of her sentence, you know, she realized what she was saying. And June says, endure it. And I, wow, that was like, I thought a really intense callback to what Amaryllis had expected being with June was going to be like at the very beginning when they met. That like, she thought that, okay, now I'm going to have sex with June and I'm just going to have to endure that because I don't want to have sex. But for, for purposes of of power and of saving the world i'm gonna do it and like just i mean she's fucking stronger than june in every single way i think like she she just kind of accepted that she was gonna have to endure regular sex with him without flinching without without even you know thinking oh woe is me do i really have to do this please you know father take this cup away from me she was just like yep gonna go into doing that and uh kind of you know just just makes her look stronger and better in comparison again two things and i can't forget the second thing but the first thing was i've never heard father take this cup away before oh it's a i mean it's in one of the translations i think the king james translation of uh one of the things jesus said the night before he was going to get crucified he's in the the garden being like oh god oh god i'm sweating blood i i don't want to be tortured to death and then one of the things he says you know as he's praying is like please take this cup away from me like I don't want to have to go through with this. Uh, don't make me drink this poisoned cup or whatever the metaphor is. Huh. I will just take a moment to point out that many humans have alleged and probably actually been much more stoic and steadfast in the face of their own executions. Um, it seems kind of like a, I don't want to say a bitch move for, <laughs> you know, 
the guy Jesus who's, decide, the bitch. who's deciding to, to kill himself so he can forgive himself so he himself can forgive us for something i can't remember the whole circle of explanation there but i mean uh, there's there's four different gospels and they all cater to a different audience so this was the one that like wanted to see him sweating and agonizing over it oh i know i'm just saying like you know socrates was just like fuck it you know i'll do it i don't care mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the other thing was uh i don't know mm, i don't want to say that she's stronger than june because it's like the the implication there is that like oh well if he uh if only he would kind of like suck it up, they could keep their murder house, right? And while that's technically true, I think Amaryllis was in a different position. She had decided that she wanted to endure it, right? Yeah, that's true. And she she may have had some t- some period of agonizing there. Um, yeah. And, you know, June's only been at this, you know, problem for three days. Um, you know, I, I think that, that the decision for her to be like, okay, yeah, it's not gonna be my thing, but I, I can dig it. Or I, I can't dig it rather, but I can, I'll plan my grocery list, you know, for five minutes every couple of days or whatever. Yeah. Um, like that, that's different than June living in constant fear, being teleported, you know, into a room, into a doorless room and, you know, uh, made to have sex for hours on end or whatever. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. I, I yeah, I want to say I, I was not meaning to imply that June should suck it up to keep the powerful house in his corner and and endure it because that's fucked up. But just you know the fact that Amaryllis never even gave it a second. Well, I guess maybe she did because, like you said, we don't know her inner her inner monologue. We never got the narration from her side. But it just it seemed like Amaryllis was just God. Like the balls on that woman. It's awesome. I wonder this is. Uh interesting consideration i wonder um if bethel had i like time rollers put it forced sex on um because as val puts it there's a lot of baggage with the word rape um mm-hmm. if if bethel had forced herself on amaryllis mm-hmm. do you think that amaryllis would have just grit her teeth and took it and like let it happen as much as it needed to or do you think that she would have like you know done it that night and then left and then you know had her executed her plan to destroy the house <laughs> huh you know i don't know well we'll uh leave it on the back burner i guess um yeah i don't know i could see it going either way with amaryllis yeah fun discussion fodder anyway um yeah. let's see oh yeah um i was curious about this because uh this is some of that whatever voting slash power dynamics stuff that you were emphasizing way early on and you're right it did turn out to be important um and i'm sure it's important in every story i just never notice um so uh june's saying well there aren't people in her in inside her right now to hurt even the bottle is outside her or no emerald has said that mm-hmm. and june says i need to tell the others i can't just unilaterally decide and emerald says yes you can that's in your power now mm-hmm. um so a, if this were like the chapter that ended last week, I would have been like, this would be like Denja by Seat. This is where I was staying up late and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but is she saying that he can unilaterally decide because he's the team boss or because the circumstance warrants unilateral action? I get the impression because he's basically the team boss. Hmm. And like the rest of the team can always say, nah, screw this, I quit. But that's their only real recourse if June really decides on something. I mean, they can always all do that to each other all the time, right? Right. So, like, you know, fuck this, I quit is 
always their backup option. I guess I just like. Well, but there's no one else in the group that can say, you know what? We're leaving this house. And, and if other people don't agree with them, then like they're the one that have to quit and be like, okay, well, fine. I'm leaving. You guys can stay in this house. I'm, I'm taking off. It's the, the, they would be leaving the group. It's not like other people would have to leave the group to not go along with their decision. Yeah, I suppose. Cause he's the center of the group. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking like if, uh, Raven had finally had enough and she's like, look, I'm, I'm leaving, you know, I'm not going to destroy the house or whatever, but I'm out. Mm-hmm. Um, they get to decide, do you want to come with her or not? Uh, yeah. I mean, I this, this is June's story and they're just in it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and they're all pretty fine with that. It seems like, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Sam Rellis goes on to, she's addressing the group and she says, all right, three days ago, Bethel forced sex on Juniper. He's been having some trouble dealing with it, and so far as I'm concerned, she's crossed a line that demands an immediate and overwhelming response on our part. <laughs> and I just can't stop being happy that she's siding so hard with June. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, she, I when I was reading that out loud, it's almost like this aggression can't cannot stand, man. <laughs> uh, That's great. Or cannot go un. I can't remember what the exact phrasing was, but. I um, like the dude's version. Yeah, I think that was that was the I was I was thinking of the dude's version. Was that it? Word yeah. for word? Yeah, perfect. I, I believe so. Although she said she, she said it she said it with more uh, you know, steel in her voice. <laughs> she didn't add the man to the end. <laughs> and she's not wearing slippers in a bathroom. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Although she is I wearing don't... a bikini, I think. So Yes, she is. She's like the only like person who could command a room, you know, with that outfit, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, Val, when she hears about this uh, and takes into consideration June's soul surgery that he did, uh, I believe she has the demon in her uh, inside her now as she's doing this, right? Because it's almost immediate that she jumps. Yeah, she got permission from June to do the demon eyes. Okay, so while she's looking at him with the demon eyes, she's like, you know, most likely he wouldn't have said anything if he hadn't done any alteration at all. Uh, meaning that the... Uh, the only reason he was able to like say anything to Amaryllis about what happened is because he had uh, done that soul surgery to himself. And I thought that was, that was really interesting that like due to that hacking, he was functional enough to seek help uh, instead of just like being completely paralyzed and overwhelmed with fear and guilt and stuff. And so, you know, I, I think that's another, uh, another point in favor of occasionally doing some uh, soul moderate on yourself. Mod modding soul modding. Let's call it that. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I just to nitpick, just so you know, I don't have to die on the hill of no soul modification or whatever, or be very careful with it. I think spirit modification is different. It's, Why, it's less how? about it's less about like deleting stuff or um, heavily editing things, and more just about um, attuning their severity. Which I know sounds really like a lot, like just adjusting your values list or whatever. It really but does. I, but I, I'm like, I don't think any amount of like psychotherapy could have made Amaryllis like not love June or whatever. Um, maybe I guess I think- the soul and the spirit are tightly linked, but uh, you know you can't talk someone out of their feelings, right? I, um, I'm pretty sure you can. All right, can you talk somebody out like if they like Oreos? Can you like just through therapy make them not like Oreos? Like not without really fucking with them, right? Um, you, know, you I could guess show them probably a, not you, just through talk therapy. Yeah, you you could you could like you know flash pictures, you know, 
subliminal style of like Oreos and then dead puppies and then Oreos and whatever. <laughs> right. But right. Sh- short of that. So I think with spirit, you're, you're leaving the stuff intact. You're just adjusting its severity. Right. Like, I mean, like the, the, the pathways stay and stay there, but they're, mm-hmm. but they're not overwhelming. Isn't reducing the severity of how much you like Oreos, basically the same thing as reducing how much you like Oreos. Yeah. That's why I'm trying to figure out like, cause there is a difference, right? Otherwise, tuning down how much you cared about leveling up wouldn't uh, like it's not clear what spirit magic would do that soul magic didn't do. Right. Yeah. So it has to be different. Um, I think that uh, I think the spirit magic is more like the feedback mechanisms and the soul magic is the final output. It could be. Yeah. But I guess even that, then you're still like, if you're adjusting just the final output, you're leaving all the the mechanisms in place. It just feels like you're kind of like pinching a hose rather than just like putting in a smaller or bigger hose, you know? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It it does feel more natural to like alter the feedback mechanisms and then let that bring your values to what you want them to be rather than hacking them directly. Yeah. I think, Uh, I think it's, I don't know. Yeah. It's not Uh, worth getting too bogged down on the main, main, I didn't mean to cut you off. If you're going to say anything else though. No, Uh, no, no, that's it. uh, the, The only other thing I wanted to point out was that, uh, you know, it's a good observation and like by Val and by you for pointing that out. But I'm going to go ahead and uh, just, you know, for everything Val says, and I'll just say this like the one time, I'm caveating everything that she says that's devil-based as sus. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know if this is true. This might just be what she thought the group needed to hear to get them to believe her, whatever the next thing she's going to say is, right? Fuck, I guess so, yeah. I know, everything's fucked up. Mm-hmm, damn devils. Val points out that, like... I think it jumped out at me too in the story. I don't think it had used the word rape yet. Um, and it was like, just seeing it on print was pretty mm-hmm. heavy. Yeah. Val says that the word has baggage that makes it harder for you to deal with it. Not easier. So we can refrain from that word if you'd like. And I mean, I agree with her. It is a hard word to both see in print and talk about as if it had been happening to you, you know? Yeah. It's an intense word, and I think it's. In, it was just. It wasn't until she pointed it out that I was like, "Oh yeah, the story hadn't used, you know, the R word yet." Yeah. Um, and it and it does pack a punch. Um, the other reason I wanted to pull it out real quick was just that, like, she says, "It's my belief that applying a particular word isn't all that helpful." Because he's like, "Oh, I don't know if I would have called it that," and she's like, "You would have if it was somebody else." But let's, you know, put that aside. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know applying a particular word isn't all that helpful because we're not trying to place this incident in a class of other incidences. We're trying to deal with this in isolation. The semantic arguments that I know you're tempted to make aren't actually important or helpful. And I felt like this is Alexander Wales telling the audience that arguing about, you know, was this technically rape is pointless and counterproductive. Oh, that's a damn good observation. And possibly quite possibly true. I mean, you know, I don't know if you'd want to shut down discussion on stuff or not, but it's just like, you know, maybe maybe it was kind of saying, don't get bogged down in this part, right? Right, yeah. No, I mean, there's there's a lot of times people don't want to call something rape because then that makes it, like, automatically feel much worse than, I don't know, than what they had necessarily experienced. Or, I've, I've, I don't know. I, I have heard that from people before, that, like, the all the stigma that came with it in, in certain occasions was worse than the actual act that happened. And, um... Obviously not always, but like, yeah, sometimes you don't want, I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes with that word in our society. And I think 
rightfully so in some cases, but then also that means sometimes where you probably could legitimately say, no, this, this was rape, but people just don't want everything else that comes with it. And so they'll shy away from that. And I think, I think that's, that's a bummer because maybe it lets people get away with things that otherwise they wouldn't have or shouldn't have gotten away with. And sometimes it makes situations worse than they have to be because, because of all the other things that come with it. It's, I, I think Val has a darn good point that like, you know, we have a situation we're trying to solve right now and right here and bringing all this into it in your particular case, June, will just make it worse. So let's not even fucking bother with that. I'm really glad you, you pointed that out. Cause I think that you're, I think you're spot on. Like, um, you know, we're, we're in a, an age of kind of expanding and redefining what that word entails or mm-hmm. what, what is all encompassed under that umbrella. And mm-hmm. I think that's valuable and super important, but I think you're right that it could mean that somebody who doesn't want all the baggage that comes with being, you know, like a rape survivor, if they were, I don't know, um, good example might be like uh, Richard Dawkins described once, like when he was a kid, uh, you know, being felt up by a priest in the back of a car or something. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, when I was a kid, my brain just processed it as like yucky and I forgot about it, you know, yeah, like so he he probably never called it rape because you know he's not in his own mind by his own label like a rape survivor right mm-hmm. um and yet technically under a sufficiently modern interpretation he totally is right so mm-hmm. i think you're right it might it might put people in a position where they don't want to uh go after the situation because it's like oh then i gotta own all this dumb baggage right yeah yeah no that's that's a really good point do you should do you think it's worth mentioning uh Ayla's rape survey here i didn't read that yet she just like has a survey with 23 questions regarding how close do you think this is to to rape a number of scenarios and i don't know it was interesting it was also interesting that it came out like just after the rape chapter reading but i think that was entirely a coincidence i like how she's, she's just like uncancelable <laughs> i i'd love that too yeah but uh i don't know it would it be worth like telling people hey this is an interesting survey if you want to partake in it she said that she's got more than enough rip, uh, responses now. She doesn't need any more. Um, it's up to you. If you. I think the reason that you're asking is because you're wondering is like, is this inviting annoying controversy or something? I, I don't want to make her life more difficult. Normally, I would have been like, this is even more data. So that's great. But she said, like, I have plenty of data now. So I don't think our audience more... is the kind of people that would ever give her shit, right? No, I don't think so either. Yeah, I I feel if you feel like it's cool, I'd, I'd say go for it. Okay. Um, well, we are recording six days uh, before this goes live. So if that survey is still available the day before um, the day before this publishes, I'll include it. And if not, then whatevs. There you go. Um, Alrighty. Well, where were we? we? Could, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. So I can't resist being super sus of Devil Val. Um, God damn it. So uh, June's thinking, maybe I was a bit muddled on what therapy was and wasn't. But what I'd really been fearing was that Valencia would say the perfect words to manipulate me into a different state, into a different state without me knowing it. Maybe it was therapeutic to talk with her to hear her soft, gentle, understanding voice. But if that was therapy, then I couldn't falter for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, dude, this sounds exactly like something has been, imbi- been manipulated into, into a different mental state without realizing it would say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, huh. I Doesn't guess- it? I guess so. Now that you mention it, it hadn't occurred to me. I'm less, I'm much less sus of Val, but yeah, it does. 
He's like, well, I, you know, I was worried that you manipulated me into a different mental state, but now suddenly I find therapy great, even though I hated it before, and I'm, I'm really appreciating it. Yeah, and it's like you don't she's realize got... that, that that you didn't feel that way 20 minutes ago. She's got such a soft, gentle, understanding voice. I, I, uh, she, and again, she would make a great therapist mm-hmm. if only I could trust that she wasn't evil. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think Val's evil. Val's a, you know, Hermione sorted sort of into Gryffindor kind of gal. I just, I don't think it's possible to harness the power of hell without being, <laughs> without letting the evil creep in a little bit. Well, it, it seems to have done June and the group a lot of good, at least in this chapter. So I think she's been harnessing it okay, at least currently. Yeah, I, um, I guess. <laughs> You're not sure you agree. Well, she hasn't had enough, she hasn't had a ton of on t- on screen time. So like, you know... Maybe in the background, she's fucking things up. You know, she was apparently up to some shit in the background, getting things set up for the events of the next chapter, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if she's doing good or bad. Yeah. I just don't know. Okay. Where were we? I keep oh, saying Oh, we were... That. Oh, yeah, no, it's cool. Uh, the, the group is talking, and uh, there's... Val mentioned something about, like, you know, not everyone is completely on board with this and it's best for them to hold their peace and palada just kind of shrugs he's like i'm thirty thousand years old i've got my own opinions on things but i'm deferring to the morals and ideas of the moment uh which you know is basically old man speak for y'all are nuts but you all young people got uh, your own ideas and i realize i'm old so i ain't getting involved man and i thought it was like i thought that was really interesting that palada thinks that it just really wasn't a big deal and um I don't know. Do you think that her just do you think that her just deferring to to the young people who she probably must look at as just a bunch of bumbling infants? Like, was that cowardly? Because I don't know, like, if you really disagree with something in that way, I sort of feel like it's cowardly to just be like, eh, whatever, do your own thing. But on the other hand, you know, if she doesn't really put a lot of importance on it, like, why why fight that fight? Why die not battle? If it's just like a, fuck, I disagree, but why do I care? Go do your thing. I, I feel that way about most things in life. Like, if people want to go, I don't know, whatever they want to do, for the most part, I don't care, as long as you're not hurting anyone. So, maybe, um, maybe it's not cowardly at all. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that she summarizes it really well in the next chapter, or the one after that. Yeah, when he gets someone on one time with her, mm. um, she basically says, like, you know, look, I'm I'm real, real old. And, you know, I whatever you're gonna go through, I've been there. I've been the I've been subjected to that and I've done it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so I think that uh what does she say? She says, When I'm going through some shit, it's hard not to tell myself that I've seen and experienced worse. Never helps, in my opinion, to know that this isn't the worst it's ever been. All it does is make me feel small, like I don't deserve to feel hurt over something that hurt me. Yeah. And I think she's right um, in that it never helps and that it's not worth saying that, right? Comparing current pain to others' pain or past pain doesn't make the current situation any better. Right. Like it can provide inspiring context. Like I've overcome worse before, Mm -hmm. Um, but saying, you know, there are starving kids in Africa literally never helped anyone ever. Yeah. Um, So I think, I think that's where she's coming from. Like, it's not so much that like she has a conviction here. I think it's just like, She's just like, I don't know. She's seen worse. Yeah. 
And so I think this just doesn't, I don't know what it would take a blip on her radar for like, holy shit. Well, actually, I'm sure, I'm hoping we get one of those, actually. Would you? Some, something will blow our mind. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I don't know. Like, it almost feels like like a person who lived through um through the Civil War or something being like, look, I've seen actual fucking slavery and people getting whipped and you're you're complaining that they won't let you sit at a lunch counter like whatever man it's not a big deal but you go ahead and you have your your fights i don't care like i don't know at at what point is it if that's the sort of thing where she was she was saying um that you you young kids and your sensitivities or something yeah well i mean i even like phrased that backward like what if the situation was backwards you know if like the the um if the people were arguing for racism you know they're like we we can't let these uh these elves sit at our table or 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 maybe just the dark-skinned elves those are the ones we don't like and she'd be like oh my god racist kids with their weird racism but whatever not my fight don't care that much i'm just gonna let it go like would that be cowardly would we think of her different if the thing she's not objecting to is something that we think is repugnant i think that's a, a great analogy um or a great intuition pump, like, you know, cause, cause back in my day, you know, it was real bad and now it's only a little bad, man, you guys don't know how good you have it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that maybe, maybe, maybe she did that for the first thousand years, mm-hmm. you know, she'd be like, you know, things were worse back then. But I think with time, she probably realized like, you know what, every time I thought that I was wrong, like, or not that I was wrong, but like that it was good that I didn't like, no one stood the ground here. Right. Because mm-hmm. the 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 move, what am I trying to say? The lever of progress could keep moving, right? Mm-hmm. And every time that I wanted to stand up, or every time that I did stand up and say, "This is dumb," you guys don't realize how good you have it. Um, you know, it didn't help anybody, and things actually ended up getting better for everybody anyway. You know, but she must have lived through some periods. Like she lived through the Second Empire period, which was basically the Nazis. So she she must live through some periods where standing up and saying, you know. What you guys are doing is dumb, and we actually shouldn't be oppressing these people. Would have been the correct thing to do. Um, maybe she did stand up at those moments. Yeah, I think that uh, I'm fine referring to the morals and ideas of the moment. I mean, maybe she stood up when things were real serious. This just didn't, you know, hit on her radar the same way that like driving a train full of people through an, an annihilation ward did. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting to wonder if like uh, if that's just her go-to strategy all the time for everything. Yeah, which I think is what you're asking. That um, is what I'm asking. It, yes. Yeah, it, t- it took me too long to to realize that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know uh, if that was the case. I would almost want to call it cowardice because it's like, look, you need to stand up for some of your convictions at some point, mm. you know. So yeah, at that point, I'd I would uh, I'm on I'm on board. She should she should stand her ground at some point. Um, she says, "I'm fine deferring to the morals and ideas of the moment." Maybe she's saying of this moment in this case, she's not saying this is my go-to strategy, but it kind of sounds like she is saying that (laughs) it does kind of sound like she's saying it, but you're right. In the absence of further evidence, it seems, uh, it seems like a bad idea to make inferences. Well, we'll see if she ever takes a stand. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for drawing my attention to that. Cause now I'll keep my eyes open. If she ever like, you know, they, they're having a heated discussion about some moral quandary and they look at her and she just shrugs. Yeah. Um, so like, okay, yeah, it's a pattern. <laughs> just like, whatever, man. I, I come from a different period. I've long given up trying to keep up with all the, uh, the moral trends of this century. You know, I think it would also just be really hard to give a shit about literally anything. Um, 
you know, if they're talking about like, well, we should blow up the house or whatever. I mean, I guess the only concern for her would be like, well, I guess if Arab is literally annihilated, then I'll die. Yeah. Right. But as, as it is, she's like, you know, fuck it. If Bethel cuts my head off, then I'll just, I won't come back next time. I won't come back to Bethel next time. Right. Right. Like, I think that, you know, immortality might come with some level of callousness that mm-hmm. I'm sure in our transhumanist utopia, we'll find a way to get past. But um, especially, especially because she's basically alone in her, her immortality. Val has almost the opposite problem, but in this case, it appears to be a uh, asset. Val says uh, that Bethel can't heal me if she hurts me, and I won't wind up in the hells. That is some Cold War level game theory, I think. Like, my major weakness that I cannot be healed is an asset in this case, because it makes the, the, the torturing me extremely costly. I was really impressed. Yeah, she's uh, she's stone cold. It's interesting. I, uh this isn't how I thought things would go, but we don't know how things are going to go yet. So I'll save that meta note for the next chapter, um, okay. which is called, called hollow. Yes. Which, Oh, also what does beached mean here? I mean, I think like beached whale is the only thing I can think of, but that yeah, has mo- no tie into anything I can think of in the chapter. No. I mean, first of all, they're on the beach. So in the literal sense and like, beached, they're literally beached. Also, like when you're beached, you're kind of, you're, immobilized you're helpless you're you're you can't do anything because your own weight is sort of crushing you and uh that's sort of how june is feeling right like he can't do anything he's reliant on others to to even move at this point because he's so fucked by circumstance that's perfect that's exactly the literary analysis understanding (laughs) that i was not grasping okay Um, no i think that nailed it and then hollow here that's interesting bethel's empty i mean that's the literal interpretation other than val Mm-hmm. Uh, we could safely say there's not a living soul inside Bethel. Um, we can, which means that we can actually also say that about. Um, well, I guess we can't technically say about Val while she has a demon in her, but like they're both entities that are hollow on the inside in some way, right? Yeah, and some of that shines through with Bethel in this chapter, like her inability to get people. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. All right, so it's a Val POV chapter. Yes, it is. She starts off by telling us that she stretched the truth a little bit. She did not actually tell the the party everything as it was, but she says she had a good enough read on the assembled party that she thought they probably would have sided with her anyway. And I'm like, God damn it, Val. That's exactly, yeah, the sort of thing that breaks up couples and gets half-elves killed. Yeah, she is triggering my spider sense this whole chapter. Like, I... I had thought that she learned her lesson and that she was done kind of muddling around in this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, apparently she just, in her words, uh, like towed the line on it. Yeah. yeah. And it's know, like, she... you know what they call line towing? It's like, you know, that, it's not technically illegal. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah. That's not the point. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, she knows what she's doing. I, I'm disappointed in her. You you guys would have been okay with it if you had known. I'm doing it for your own good. Like, God damn it, Val. Seriously. Yeah. Anyways, um, she gets into Bethel, and Bethel is spends most of their conversation uh, here with a body. And Val does point out that uh, Bethel is appearing with a body because she wanted a body. And... I mean, I, I just kind of breezed past this the first time I read the story, but like this time, with especially with all the talk that you had been putting in my head about the Pinocchio complex, which I, you know, I guess I saw the first time, but I didn't glom onto it as as much. 
I was like thinking, you know, if if Worth the Candle had been written a few years later, then Bethel almost could have been like a trans person analog because like she's she's doing this projecting a body thing because she wants to be in that body even though she like doesn't actually have it and that's kind of fucking her up and i thought that was you know that was an interesting insight into val and i don't know if if you share it or what or if you think i'm just completely out of my head but i thought it was neat you mean an insight from val insight into bethel right Yes, sorry, into yeah. Bethel. No, no, you're good. I was just making sure I followed. I, I was um, using the wrong name the whole time. I apologize. No, no, no. I just, I'm dumb. I, it was entirely possible I misunderstood. So I was just double checking. No, the, uh, I, I think you're right. And that's a really, um, that's a really good point. And my first thought was like, well, Grack is sort of that already. But then I am realizing immediately like, no, he's not. He's the non-binary stand-in, right? Like, I mean, he's not even really non-binary. He's just sort of, you know. A dude that that doesn't, I guess, cis by default is the term. He well, I mean, the thing is, he's not a he, right? Right, but he presents as masculine, and he he's fine with it. Yeah, I guess that. So we're we're kind of touching that line a bit with Grack, but um, I think if if Bethel is also going to be like the the trans analog, I think she'd be a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Like she's already a lot of things, right? Right. I think and I mean, that, like, it, might, I don't, it, might, it might be too many things for one yeah. for one character to be. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't think she is because this this wasn't as big a thing five years ago. Like, I'm just saying if it was written like now, then that probably would have been a way that it was taken. Um, or maybe not. I don't know. But I I, I don't think that that was um, that was any part of the writing intention at the time at all. I was just like, oh, this is this has sort of got some parallels. Like you can squint and look at it and and uh Put it, put it into your headcanon if you want to. Yeah. No, I like that. And, uh, I mean, she's definitely trans species. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, I think that's a that's a fun lens. I thought you were saying that if it was written now, like, Alexander Wales might have written it to be explicitly that. Um, I mean, but I see, he, I see what you're saying. You're just saying, like, no, it's perfectly legitimate read to say, you know, look at this. You know, it, it can be seen through this lens, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah. I so, can dig but, it. Bethel, though, is in her human form, and this is after Val goes and changes into something uh, more um, dignified. <laughs> uh, Val, uh, Val appears in the room, laying across a chassis lounge. Is that the way you pronounce it? Chassis I think lounge? Chase. Chase lounge? Okay. I don't know. Be- and- so Bethel, what, teleports in? Oh, no. Uh, Val goes back into, like, the study or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And uh, so she's basically... I'll laying on a, a long couch thing uh, like you see in a, a Freudian therapist's office and a chair had been arranged next to her with a small table on which was set a pencil and notepad because Bethel can tell that like something's going on and she's about to get some sort of talking to and this is very serious business and like I, I I'm really like have been very upset with Bethel ever since this happened and like I this I actually laughed with this and I'm like, God damn it. How is she she's still can be kind of funny and charming even when she's done something awful like that. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean that that's kind of Bethel in a nutshell, right? Yeah. Um damn it, why do I why do you do things that make me like you even though you suck? Um Exactly. No, I'm glad you caught that because I, I read that thing and I'm like, I don't quite understand what's happening here. Um but no, you're right. It's the it's the stereotypical Freudian therapy session. Yeah. So I just imagine her laying there, you know, head on a small pillow, looking up at the ceiling, you know. Um, all right, Doc, what do you got? 
Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So good joke. Uh, yeah. There was a great line here by Val. She's thinking that uh, in some senses they were opposites. Bethel holding significant amounts of hate in her heart and Valencia the target of hate, but it had given them something to talk about on the rare occasions when they spoke to each other. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of made me realize that it, if I was the kind of person who analyzed books instead of just rambled about them, <laughs> I might take the time to sit with a pen and paper and try and draw these sorts of comparisons between all the companions. I don't think I will because I'm lazy and it's been busy lately. But if I do, then I'll share it. But what I'm getting at, I guess, is that there's probably something like this uh, for everybody to everybody in the group, right? I, Although probably- it might just be kind of like the overfitting thing where it's mm. like we could also shove them all into a Hogwarts house. Right. Um, yeah. You know, if if I really want to compare Grack and Amaryllis, you know, I'm sure I could find something. But am I just finding something because I am trying really hard to find something? Or is there actually something there? You know, nothing is a coincidence. Uh, this is not a coincidence because nothing is ever a coincidence. That's there a good are, point. There are Kabbalistic implications to all of this. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I I wish that you would have found the time to, to do that sort of thing at some point because that'd be fascinating. But okay. I understand that, you know, days are short and time is precious. I'll put a pin in it. Um, it's just been surprisingly busy uh, with work, which is weird because typically it's not. Um all right, so I needed to pull out real quick that Val's bedroom looks like Hogwarts dormitory. Mm-hmm. Because of course it does. Yeah, she's and, Val. And of course it's Gryffindor-themed because she's unimaginative, and it was the easy and safe choice. Oh, uh, burn zing. on Val. Yeah. Well, she says it was the easy and safe choice. I just called it unimaginative. Yeah. Uh, Do you, you know, think it was the correct choice? Uh, Well, upon reflection, uh, Scarlet and Gold are their colors, right? And she's Valencia the Red. So uh, That's true, yep. She put some gold trim on all her clothes and boom, she's, you know, nailing those Gryffindor colors, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it fits, you know, she's Harry, Harry is in Gryffindor, et cetera. And mm-hmm. if I had to pick a house, yes, she wants to be a hero, right? I think, that I think that that's the said, requisite yeah, that's for the being a Gryffindor. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why she picked Gryffindor. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it fits, okay. but I just, I think it's because Bethesda rationality really fleshed out the other houses Mm-hmm. that i'm like you know there are virtues to the other ones too right but they're totally weren't in canon so well, yeah no well no yeah in canon there were not they were just there because they're supposed to be four i guess yes because it couldn't was... just be gryffindor and slytherin i know i don't know why but i guess it would have been weird if half the kids in the school are evil so needed to break things up yeah um and i don't know if i got mine out of order because i don't remember uh oh it's probably yours first the okay because, yeah, she knows what's up. Yeah, Bethel, Bethel, Bethel's catching on quick. Oh, yeah. Bethel opens up, like, just with questions that immediately show she knows basically what has happened and why Val is here. And she just goes, like, I mean, the second question immediately is, is the second question I have is whether Juniper told you. And, like, she hasn't even said what they're talking about because she knows and Val knows. And they both know that the other one knows. And I was like, this is, I love how smart Bethel is and how direct she is. Just like no faffing about, no anything. Just cut right to the chase and and start getting into it. Yeah, she she's quick on the uptake, and um, I think you know Val to her credit doesn't like beat around the bush. Um, mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, you, you know, you kind of uh, I can't remember exactly how it started because I didn't pull out that quote here in these notes, but um, she was like, you know, you you pushed through uh, his his objections, mm-hmm. and 
Bethel's saying, well, I suppose that he would have displayed some reluctance no matter what, because to him it was it was a commitment rather than something transient. But once I was past his defenses, once we were in motion, I thought he'd appreciate it. You know, I'd seen it a dozen times before, the ways that humans in particular will pair bond, how the act will bring them closer together. Mm-hmm. Um, and like this seems like a not unreasonable take if you're just observing humans from the outside and don't have yeah. a human mind to relate to what you're seeing. Yeah. Um, and the first part of what she says here is basically Bethel saying that she views sex slash sexual pleasure the way you describe it, rather than something like special like June sees it. Um, that does seem to be her position. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm not saying you're like Bethel. I'm just saying that, um, <laughs> you know, she was just like, I don't get what the big deal is. All right. Sometimes you, know? you can just have sex and it doesn't have to be this huge life altering thing. And she says that for somebody who, you know, for the first time in her life was physically capable of doing it. It kind of was a big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but even to her, like, she, it's like, she's like, you know, for me, it was my first hour wearing a body, my first time able to do this. And it wasn't even a big deal to me. Why is he freaking out about it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, she even says like, I wouldn't have fucked him if, if I thought he'd be so weird about it. And yeah. I'm just like, oh shit. She's like totally oblivious. Yes. Um, you know, and like, I, it'll, it'll come up a bit over through this, but she, she quickly I mean, goes from, from oblivious to understanding, which is awesome. Yeah. Like it's so oblivious that she's like, she even asks Val, where you and George grew, grew closer. Juniper and I did not. Why were things different with your boyfriend? And it's, I mean, I almost feel bad for just how much she does not understand. Like it's, it seems, you know, she, she's like a person where like, I, I put the one thing inside the other thing and you're supposed to get this result and it didn't get the result. And what happened? What did I do wrong? Like, I just, man, I really almost feel bad for her. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's the thing that's the the thing that stops me from feeling bad for her is that, that she just didn't care about what June said. And thought she knew better, which, you know, has always been a thing I've hated from anyone. Yeah, I, I think that just to skip to the punchline here, like she, she really does kind of take my like she did fall into my steel man bucket that I tried to make last week. It's like, no, she really just didn't get it. You know, mm-hmm. like you don't feel violated if like a dog humps your leg, right? You just want it to stop. Mm-hmm. And so how did I put it in my my notes for this one? I was like, she's thinking a little, a little later on that she's like, well, but but he enjoyed himself. Like she's saying it slowly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, she's taking this pretty well so far. You know, the fact that w- the way this is being spelled out to him, to her. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking that like, I hope they can make everything copacetic soon. Like it was a big viola- violation against June, but yeah. it's looking more and more like Bethel is just deficient in that part of her mind and literally didn't comprehend the fact that June was actually refusing. And so if, if she actually, you know, if, if it's not like she like, I see your objection and ignore it. I think it was more just like she she literally couldn't comprehend it. I mean, I kind I kind of agree with that, but she knows what the word no means. Yeah. It, it, it's not that she didn't know that June she just assumed that what he was saying was not, you know, truly indicative of what he wanted and that's that there's certain situations where you can't do that. And, you know, when you're forcing sex on someone, that is one of them. There's, there's certain situations where an extra degree of caution is uh, a thing you should always be taking. Now, don't get wrong. You don't have to convince me. Okay. I, 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 I fully get it. I'm yeah. a person with a, with a human mind. Yes. And <laughs> I, I think that she's a, like effectively mentally handicapped in this department. Like it, 
it sounds like, but she, she's looking at this and she's like baffled, but she's, she's like, but he had fun. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, like, I, so again, I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's all hunky dory. I just think that like, uh, it, I, I don't agree think it's, with you that it, it, it wasn't like intentional rape. And I think that like a negligent rape is less bad the same way that like negligent murder is less bad than intentional murder because it tells you how worried you have to be around someone. But the um, it's still bad for the people on the other side of that equation. They're still dead or they're still raped. It doesn't matter to them if it was negligent or not. So like as a society, we punish it less. But um. And I guess rightfully so to some extent, but uh, it doesn't mean that it's excusable. Like the, the negligence itself is the problem. And uh, if you if you didn't realize you were being negligent, that is not an excuse. That's literally why it's called negligent, because you should have known better. And Bethel should have known better as well. I, again, I'm not, I'm not defending the act of like ignoring someone's protestations during yeah. sexual conduct. I'm just saying that like it... I actually do think that so like negligence only counts if you know you're being negligent. Um, no, no, now, no. Now you you should know you're being negligent because you should be responsible. But it's like um, negligence can count if a uh, the standard is that if a reasonable person would have known, then you are held responsible, even if you you know are stupid and don't know about how physics works or something. Yeah, I, I guess I reasonable person is kind of like you know the layman making the decision as to whether or not this is reasonable you know, with the rules of the game, right? That's basically um, literally it, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, I don't know, like, um, my my neighbor a few years ago came over to ask, like, if my air conditioning was working in the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, yeah, why? And she's like, because mine's not. And I was like, well, A, we have different boxes outside, you can see, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, so yours not working shouldn't relate to mine at all. Yeah. Um, but the reason it wasn't working, I went and, you know, I was like, well, there's a couple quick things I can check. She hadn't changed her air filter in her uh, furnace ever. Oh, and she lived there God. for like two or three years. Okay. And so I, I found it and I pulled it out and it's got like a, you know, half Dead inch thick it. sheet of carpet on it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know, like when you put an air filter in your car, how it's like white and clean, this should look like that. <laughs> it, it shouldn't look like a, um, you know, like a, like a chunk of, like I said, carpet. Um you know, it's and, interesting. I've seen a lot of house air filters. I think I've maybe only seen a car air filter once, and I'm not sure what they're supposed to look like. Uh, just like house air filters. Okay. Are you not changing your air filter in your car? No, I pay people to do that for me. Oh, you're wasting money, sir. Am you, I really? you, don't, you don't even need a screwdriver. Okay. I mean, you do I, you, as long as you're changing it. The thing is, it's like, I, I brought up my neighbor because like she just straight up didn't know that that was a thing you had to do. Well, like, I, mean, I, I is that like I, some, is something a reasonable person should know? Probably if you're buying a house, you know, probably. But like the second she became aware of it, then she's negligent, negligent if she doesn't take care of it. This isn't the best example, but it's it's working, right? Like may, maybe a car thing would be more apt because you're more likely to hurt somebody else if you don't uh, change your oil and your car seizes up, right? Yeah, um, I don't think the furnace filter works because no one... Like you aren't expected to, you aren't considered irresponsible for the safety of others around you if you don't know that. Like that's, let's say, that's let's say changing about. your oil in your car then. Uh, could that harm others? Yeah. You're, I mean, at some point your car will die, right? Yeah. Um, and if it dies while you're trying to go 85 miles an hour down the highway, you could kill somebody. 
I guess. I don't know. Like, I, I've never heard about the oil thing. The thing I hear most about is securing your load. If you're, you know, carrying heavy stuff down the down the road uh, anywhere, but especially on a highway, you strap that shit down. And if you haven't done that, then you are held liable for it. Even if you're like, I don't know, dumbass dude from places where they don't have cars or something. And you're like, oh, I don't know. I thought I would just slap it onto onto the back of my truck and go running around. <laughs> and now you're, you're held liable for if that flies off your car and kills someone because you should have known. So the fact that you haven't heard of the, the oil thing would mean, I mean that, I like, know that it, if you leave the if you don't change your oil for long enough, the engine will seize up. Right. But I mean, like, the, I think that and I've never heard of that happening on the highway. Maybe your car just doesn't start. Maybe it could never attempt to reach highway speeds before it dies if uh, you're if you're trying to push sludge through it instead of oil yeah. um but i bring that up because it's like it's 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 possible something like that exists and i think until you're made aware of it and i guess you're right like uh consent is probably closer to like wind resistance you know like with a mattress on a back on the top of a honda mm-hmm. um than it is to like what happens if you don't change the oil in your car yeah. um, you're right it, it's way more obvious i guess uh i'm just it's obvious to us because we know what stuff means and and i don't know why i'm moving mountains to defend bethel here like she fucked up don't get me wrong and so i I I want to be perfectly clear like that this this was fucked and she shouldn't have done it but it's like i guess i'm kind of viewing her again like as as handicapped in this part of her mind and it's not her responsibility to not be handicapped it's her, her responsibility to uh like if something is raised to her explicit attention yeah. to like, then incorporate that and never do it again. Right. She, cause, because she is capable of learning. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like, um, you know, if a chimpanzee attacked somebody, you can't be like, look, man, you shouldn't have done that. It's like, Oh <laughs> shit. Really? Okay. It won't happen again. My bad. Cause she's not a chimp, but she, but she is, you know, a mind from scratch. Right. Yeah. And so, or mostly from scratch. Um, I guess, yeah, I guess it would depend how much you think that she should have known that if June says no, you back the fuck off. Or at least you don't press him. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like, I for make perfectly clear, I know that no means no. Yes, yes, but, yes. But I think that to her, she was like, well, you say no, but your body is screaming yes, right? Yeah. And so she's like, well, I'm I'm so used to reading people's bodies, because that's how I roll. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's more like what happened. And I, I guess, so that's what I was saying last week. And it seems like that's what actually was going on inside Bethel's mind. Um, So that, that's, why did I bring all that up? Because uh, we're talking about what Val said. Um, Oh, you were just talking about how much Bethel doesn't understand. Yeah. Um, yeah, She was like, well, you and Jorge grew closer. Like, why didn't me and June? And like, like she's just super out of the loop. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, if she's asking questions like that, it means that she just totally doesn't get it. Yeah. And, you know, negligence so you, is, yeah. is, a, is a complicated subject. And I don't know, you know, if, fuck it, if I was the one who was violated, I don't know how I'd feel, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think I would understand on the intellectual level, it's like, you know, is she really responsible? Because she didn't, she actually didn't know. But at the same time, I'm, I'm fucking hurt by what happened, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. it, it makes it really tough. Um, it does. I also think that, you know, in the real world, claiming um, ignorance, people would then have an incentive both to A, stay ignorant, and B, to claim they were ignorant even if they weren't in order to to be able to get let off with a lighter sentence. And 
we don't want to encourage that. But, you know, in, in this world where we can literally see what people are thinking because it's laid out on the page for us, it's not quite the same. Yeah, I mean, I think it just comes to the degree of negligence, right? Like, like we have a lot more insight into just how much Bethel didn't know and how um, how probably non-malicious she was which is something that you could never be quite as uh, sure of in the real world. Like, did you really not know that it was dangerous to drive with that on the back of your truck? Or did you just not care? Yeah, so I, th- I think that's the tough spot. And I think that this is probably, you know, we'll have to consult our, our legal team for this. But I imagine that, like, claiming negligence, you know, they say ignorance of the law isn't an excuse. But, like, that's just, as far as I'm concerned, complete fucking bullshit because you have to go to school for eight years to under or X years to understand law well enough to argue it. Mm. And like most of us have jobs that aren't that. So mm. like saying I have to be a fucking lawyer just to get around during the day is complete nonsense. Mm. Uh, you know, so like, you know, if I, if I'm in uh, I can't remember the name of the country and I probably should. Cause if you chew gum there and spit it out, you could what get killed. I believe um, that's Singapore and no, they don't execute you for that. They execute you for having any drugs on you. Right. You know, so if I if I have a joint in my pocket and I'm chewing gum, you know, I'm going to get caned and killed. <laughs> and like, I, if I if I didn't know that, now granted, if I'm going there, I should Google the rules. But like, uh, it it just strikes me as, you know, like, um, taking your shoes off on an airplane, you know, as far as I'm concerned, big no, no. Um, Wait, what? The, you know, if, if people like take their shoes and socks off on an airplane and put their feet up, like, oh, between the I, seats I in front know. of them. I don't know how you would ever have enough space to uh, put your feet up, but like I always take my shoes off. I think socks, shoes are one thing. And shoes. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I've, I've seen where like people put their feet be- like on the, like the gap between the chairs and like it's on the armrest where my arm is supposed to go. Dude, you have been in some much cushier planes than I have been then. then. No, I mean, it, it's tight and there's nowhere for me to put my arm because their foot's there, right? Oh um, my God, what an asshole. Well, that that's the thing. So, like, are they being a prick? Yes, but like, maybe that's just how you ride planes in wherever they're from. Like, I don't know. I I, I think we're getting really too bogged down in what this means. I guess what I'm getting at is that there's degrees of negligence. There are th- some things where it's totally legitimate to be negligent of. Like, mm-hmm. um, like I have no idea. For example, what the views are in um, Mexico City about breastfeeding in public, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so like, if I if I'm in Singapore, if I'm in uh, Singapore, if I'm in uh, Mexico City, and I've got a hungry baby, and I'm a woman, like, do I do I seek privacy to go feed the baby, or am I okay to do it here on the park bench? Like, right? I I think it's you know, and if if I'm being charged with some you know five year prison sentence for it, and I'm like, I really didn't know this was that big of a deal. I think that's a completely fair defense. Mm-hmm. So so that's sometimes you know, ignorance is a complete, as far as I'm concerned, fair. Uh, um defense but uh it's that that's that's my i'll i'll wrap it up there um the the last thought on that is i don't it is an open question as to whether or not uh bethel could have plausibly been ignorant about what no means and whether or not this is a case that's just too gratuitous right yeah like it okay it doesn't matter if you didn't know you're still in trouble right right yeah. this, this isn't chewing gum this is you know fucking rape like we're <laughs> We're, we're not we're not letting you get away with like oh sorry my bad i didn't know right yeah yeah okay although apparently palada would i guess so i think palada is just more like fuck it not my problem <laughs> I, I, I imagine her just like being super old and tired even though she's not old like yeah she's she's experienced but she's what 17 i'm assuming um so like probably since yeah. all of yeah 
the companions look to be about seventeen. Out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks uh, for letting well, me indulge you on that for a while. Yeah. No problem. Uh, I pulled out this thing about uh, that Valencia says here because it like threw up my sus flags. Uh, she started out with uh, trying to explain to Bethel like how how um, this went down from June's point of view, and she says, "If you want to catch an animal, a trap will do." And I was like, "Oh, damn! That's a great metaphor, Val. Rock on." And uh, I liked what she did there. But then she says, imagine instead that you do things by steps. You allow the animal to lead the way. You give it food and shelter. You give it space when it needs some. You allow it to initiate. You respond as if you are tentative, uh, as if you are as tentative about the arrangement as it is. And I I kind of feel like Val is letting the devil do the, some talking here. Because, like, on the face of it, it seems, you know, that's a nice sweet thing to do to an animal, but like humans aren't, I mean, I guess they are technically animals, but um, humans are distinct from other animals. And I think it would be exploitative and deceitful to treat a partner that way. Like you don't try to trick a partner into that kind of stuff with like food and shelter and, you know, responding as if you're tentative, you like, you want your partner to want you. You try to, do seduction not this sort of you know sneaking around kind of thing in my opinion and the sneaking around business is exactly how she bedded jorge <laughs> is it i mean it from the, you know it says that you know he was smart enough to see that it was a recipe for disaster and so she's like well the first with him had to be done carefully tentatively with as much of his will and investment <laughs> as possible and she, she was clearly just like seeing that through every lens of how to manipulate somebody god damn you're right she was the predator there probably maybe she's seeing that in hindsight but mm, i don't know i I think maybe you know undeviled val is like i kind of want to get dicked down by this jorge guy but he seems reluctant and then she asks the devil how to do it and it's like oh okay that's obvious right yeah yeah exactly i think that's the problem because yeah i mean i like in my opinion showing your desire in a way that's non-threatening is way more honest and you know that's that's what you're trying to do you're trying to stoke their desire in return so like you both are into each other and and the devil ob- obviously doesn't know the first thing about feeling that desire the devil devils don't have any desire for sex and they're like oh yeah yeah you know this is how you do it <laughs> so i'm on um i i guess i agree I, I think that like the non-threatening and you know optimal like friendly communication is the best Mm. um it just brought to mind i'm probably on reddit like half an hour a week these days um Mm. and probably 50 percent of the stuff i follow is some version of like cats befriending dogs or cats who squeak or cats who chirp or whatever Mm. um but uh r slash tinder has a lot of like uh gold mine for comedy and sometimes just like uh what do you call it like outrage porn Mm -hmm. um you know, it's a text with a, you know, date from, you know, the, the girl is like, how tall are you? It's like, oh, I'm, you know, five, eight. Oh, I don't waste my time with anyone under six feet. And it's like, well, how, you know, how much do you weigh? Oh my God, how could you ask that? Like that comes up like every week. Um, <laughs> okay. But there, there was, you know, once in a while you'd get one where it's like, you know, Hey, that was a good time. Uh, you know, see, you know, or I had fun talking, you want to get together? And she, the, because, you know, usually women are the ones who are fucking harassed on these platforms. Luckily, mm-hmm. I never actually had a Tinder account. I got I got in a committed relationship right before this took off. So I get to talk about it like an old person. Um, <laughs> I but think anyway, I made one once, but I never actually used it. 
Maybe someday I'll go and activate it. No, you just have to walk around and, you know, women ask for your phone number. So that is um, literally not what happens. <laughs> but uh never has oh, that happened to me. I brought that up because the the desire and like the honest communication, it just made me think of uh once in a while you'll see like the guy is like, Hey, you know, you want to get together and you know, she's like, Oh, I'm, you know, I appreciate it. I'm just not feeling it. And the the guy will be like, Hey, you know what? No problem, totally get it. Good luck finding the next guy. And like the girl, this is like the, the girl will share that on r slash Tinder. And it always gets popular because it's like, oh, you know, look, a nice person on the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw a unicorn today. Uh, so this is kind of leading into like where Bethel's, it's it's dawning on her, right? Mm-hmm. She's And I kind of imagine her, you know, eyes widening. She's like, I would never hurt him. He knows that I never would. And there was like, there's no doubt in her voice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this means from Val's devil-fueled perspective that like we can be sure Bethel 100% believes this, right? Well, no, I, I think Val even points this out that Bethel does not have a normal human body. She has 100% control over what she's projecting. So she can't know for sure that Bethel actually feels that, or if she just wants the, you know, observers to think that she feels that. That's, that's true. I guess I don't, what am I, I was about to say, I don't feel Bethel is that manipulative, but um i totally do so yeah i don't know why i believe it i i guess that's because it's consistent with the rest of what she says like um you know so val points out you know correctly that june didn't know that bethel would never hurt him so it's like you, you might believe that you would never have hurt him he didn't know that um yeah. you know he's, he watched you cut people's fingers off for less you know yeah. um but bethel you know she's she's like fuck and she sits up from where she's where she was reclining he should be the one telling me this and yeah. Valencia is like, well, he's afraid of you now. And I'm like, man, she seems sorry. Plus one to Bethel, question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it was at this point where Val started like raising the hair on the back of my neck. I'm like, I know you're supposed to be good, this sort of thing, but it sounds like you're just continuing to push Bethel, even though she's got the message. And huh. she keeps doing that. And like, I don't get me wrong, it's a point that needs to be hit over and over, but like, I feel like she's got it, right? I feel like. Valencia guided this conversation to the point where she's like, okay, the only solution is for you to leave with me, Bethel. Let's go. Um, Cause I feel like she could have like, okay, you understand now, you know, now yeah. we can, I can go report back to June and see what he wants to do. Right. See, I didn't get that when I was first reading this because I thought that, you know, he, I was still feeling like this needs to be, I, I hate to use this analogy, but like you, you want to, when the dog poops on the carpet, you kind of want to rub the dog's nose in it, being like, hey, this is terrible. Don't do this. I'm very upset at you. It's a great and analogy. Like, <laughs> and I felt like, you know, like Bethel needed her nose rubbed in it for a while to, to get that, like, that retribution feeling of mine satisfied. And, like, Valencia was doing that. So I, I felt happy and was cheering her on. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's afraid of you now. Take that, Bethel. You can't just talk to him. Like, it it felt to me that... um that Bethel was doing the, the, the work of vengeance here and I was on, on board for it, but, uh, Oh, that Val was doing the work of vengeance. They, thank uh, you. Yes. That Val yeah. was the, I don't know why I keep switching their names today. I am so out of it. This I switch, I'm sorry. I switch, man, it, it, you, you don't know. It's like in my head. I, the only reason I got it is because I'm literally looking at their, their names right this second. I don't feel, don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. I, I, and I, I clarified not to like correct you, but just to make sure I'm, I actually followed what you were saying. Um, maybe maybe like maybe she 
thinks that Bethel hasn't quite gotten it, hasn't really internalized it, just, you know, wants to jump straight to the quickest solution and and she needs like a a bit of a reality I don't want to say reality check. A a reality alignment where she can more accurately see that this is not something that she can just like pop to June and be like, "Oh, hey June, big misunderstanding. My bad, bro." And that it's going to be fixed. And so she's, you know, trying to keep Bethel from uh from having expectations that won't be fulfilled. Yeah. No, I I mean, there's a perfectly fair explanation for basically all of this, I think. Um it's just that it felt uh um and you're right, like th- this is not a yeah, this is rubbing her nose in it, but it's like making sure she really really gets it. Yeah. And that's super important, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, he would be here telling you this except he's fucking terrified of you. Right? You're you're super powerful. He's watched you exercise, you know, uh, your monumental power, uh, you know, at the wave of a hand, you know, if, if he came in and told you this and he thought you'd be mad, he, he knows he would die. <laughs> like, right. Uh, How are you still not getting this Bethel? Yeah. So she's, she's driving the point home, but I don't know. I, I think it's because I can't not view devil Val through, uh, suspect suspicious lenses. Yeah. Through the, you killed Fen lenses. Yeah, basically. And I, I mean, no, I think I was, I was on the, like, you know, Devil insight is bad trained before it killed a companion. That's true. I'm you, pretty sure yeah. I was anyway. Like, it just seems like a bad idea. I mean, am I dumb? <laughs> no, no, you're not. <laughs> I think I'm the dumb one for thinking, yeah, you know, they would use those devils. It's fine. You got this. I mean, I would too. How could you not? It's a superpower. Yeah. But it's just like, you know, and, and maybe it's not obvious. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is no, like, secret evil seeping in. But I just feel like there is. Yeah. So we'll 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 learn more about it. Bethel uh goes on to say after a bit more, you know, having things explained to her, uh, she asks, How do I fix it? And I just at that point when she said that, like I I felt palpable relief because I didn't want Bethel to be like this irredeemable evil thing that has to be destroyed now. And the fact that, you know, she l- like you said in our last episode, like I- I'm holding out hope that she uh that she just didn't know what was going on. And at first she's going to push back, but when she gets it, she's going to feel bad and want to fix it. And that's like pretty much exactly what happened. And I just felt really, uh, relieved at that. Yeah. Same here. hundred percent. This was an actual plus one to Bethel. Like Mm -hmm. as I'd hoped last week, you know, both of the characters acted just like I wanted Amaryllis, uh, way more enthusiastically than I would have hoped even, uh, Mm -hmm. was in June's corner. Um, and I fucking loved it um bethel here you know she doesn't even like when she's resisting understanding earlier it's not like she's blamed she didn't deflect she didn't blame june um she didn't defend herself she was just confused yeah and like the moment that she actually realizes that she'd hurt him she immediately wants to make it better yeah and she's just like oh my god i didn't i holy shit i had no idea mm-hmm. like you know up until this point i think she was just confused uh so you know how do how do i fix it you know what words do i say yeah. And then Valencia replies, it says, there are no words, Valencia lied. And that brought me up real short. Because, first of all, I, I I don't know if I believe her that there's words that can make this all okay. Like, it just seems like this is a bigger problem than one you can resolve with some words. But, like, secondly, if Val believes that there are words that can make this all okay, why the fuck... Is she lying and saying that there aren't any words? Why is making it okay not okay? Um, I mean, su- I think super persuasion is a thing, right? 
what is the super persuasion? It like th- this is one of the 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 superpowers of a super intelligence that Foster oh, warns oh. us about. Okay, yeah, like, gotcha. You know, oh, I'll just unplug the thing. It's like not if it's talking to you, you won't. Mm-hmm. Like it'll it'll convince you not to. Your your mind is not secure against that sort of of uh, outside manipulation. Yeah. Um. So I I don't doubt that there's some magic string of of words that she could put together that would make June believe everything is cool. Mm-hmm. Um. But I I guess that uh. Okay. I think, I I think, so. she, I think she'd have to be deceptive to do it. Yeah. So it would just be like papering over things and making june believe things that aren't actually true and and wouldn't really be healing to anyone involved well see that that's the weird thing when you think about it though right like if june thinks he's healed and he actually is at the end of it and bethel understands because she's also had the same talking to like things actually would be better right 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 once you think you're not traumatized then you're not traumatized exactly well actually maybe that's not true though I mean, I, I'm not sure, but it sounds true when you said it, but I think about it and it's like, no, maybe, maybe you are traumatized by it, even though you think you're not anymore. Okay. Um, but that's a, that's a question. I don't actually know. Um, but no, I, I guess, guess I'm you just, could like be suppressing it in some way, deceiving yourself. Yeah. Or like, I, well, I guess like I would generally say, like, if you think you're not gay, then that means you're not gay. But I guess we have examples from history where people were strongly suppressing their, their gayness and, uh, honestly believed that they weren't despite all the you know gay sex they were having you mean history like now um. <laughs> well i think it happens much less now in america but uh it probably still does happen yes it still does happen now i'm sure but it, it was definitely a thing 30 years ago right oh yeah um it I, was I kind have... of a joke you could tell if a uh, if a senator was gay based on whether he uh voted against gay marriage <laughs> um yeah i guess uh i don't know if if June thought he was better and, you know, he has enough insight into his mind and spirit, you know, to know if he's actually better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it would work, you know? So the reason that maybe she wouldn't go for the super persuasion is either a, because she'd have to be deceptive about it and she doesn't want to do that. That's yeah. the nice interpretation yeah. or the bad interpretation is that she says shortly after this, um, Valencia was attempting the long play, not the short one, not the one that would let her leave to safety um and so from the minute she walked in here she was not planning on leaving right she's going for the long play and why i don't know right so she's she's not going to do the super persuasion thing because that would solve the problem Mm -hmm. and she doesn't want it solved or Mm. it's cheating and i'm not sure right so i i don't know if it would to be sinister here or not or you know it might be just a paper over short-term solving rather than the long-term thing kind of like she said there were words that she could say to june and fen that would make them cool with each other for another you know several months maybe but eventually these things would fester and come up to the surface again and it wasn't a long-term solving see i wonder if it's hmm have we had any example of val using her devil insight to like generate a good outcome i want to say yeah most of the things that she's done for the group have been good the the one exception being the the fen the june and fen thing well like i guess when i say good outcome i mean like one that doesn't have suffering in it like she she had good outcomes you know when she warned the group about the poisoning right most of the group didn't die um yeah, yeah. like but uh i guess i'm trying to think of like where an unambiguous like you know superman would have done that 
kind of thing happened after she used her devil insight. Cause I don't know if it, maybe she, maybe it's actually impossible to do like a good thing while using the superpower. Um, Damn it. Now I have to reread the book a third time and look for those. Yeah. Well, when you're inside your, your reading group to it, you can have them keep an eye out for it. Um, yeah. Cause now I'm wondering, uh, it's, like, it's not my reading group and I don't assign it. It's a reading group I'm part of. And we all suggest books. That's right. Okay. Uh, uh, we, we can assign our discord people who have, uh, more Google foo and time and inclination to just, you know, swing through and, or maybe they just remember and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, uh, got she some super smart readers there. Yeah, we do. And so they'll, they'll be like, yeah, here, here and here, man. Why'd you forget all these instances? So, mm-hmm. all right. Um, so she, she's further driving the point home and, uh, that this is, again, this is where I got. And, you made the case just a second ago, you know, how useful it is to rub her nose in it, rub Bethel's mm-hmm. nose in it. And I realized mm-hmm. that's, as you said, that's, that's putting it lightly in a way that shouldn't be done, but we understand that. So we can't just do it anyway. Yeah. Um, she says, when people exercise power against you, was it always with a threat? No, sometimes they would just tell you to do things and you wouldn't know how, to, how they would react if you said no, even if you said no in a diff- in a deferential way, even if you had your own good reasons, even if you're perfectly compliant in all other ways. And Bethel just growls. She's, I'm not like them. Uh-huh. And so this is exactly what I was hoping Bethel would have that realization about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I would never be like them. And, you know, the fact that you're telling me that I was is horrifying to me. I needed to fix that. Uh, but I'm just thinking like June could have had this part of the conversation with, with Bethel. Like, I do feel think he's, do you think he's got like the, the emotional strength for that yet? To tell Bethel th- this thing to her face? I think that if Val came out unscathed and, you know, well, I guess it depends. You're right. Because, I mean, he is very fairly and legitimately traumatized by, and, you know, he can't talk to Bethel without being in Bethel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, he could write her notes. I guess he um, could possibly stay just outside of her range and, like, you know, the kind of yell a bit with their projection. Yeah. There, there are ways for them to communicate, I think. Actually, uh, and I put this in the next chapter, he can talk to her in her soul whenever he wants. Oh, yeah, because he's got the DM cheating magic thing. So far as I know, she can't cut his head off in there. Um, I don't see how or why she'd be able to, right? Yeah, I, I think you're right. If anything, he probably has the ability to fuck her soul up. Yeah, so he, he has a safe channel of communication with her. I feel like he could explain this part. Once once Val, if she wanted to, it seems, seems like she was never planning on it. Once she like walked back out and was like, hey, guys, it's good um she's ready to talk with june whenever you're ready um like he could have done that but val was never going to have the conversation end that way mm-hmm. um so i don't know i think this was just another thing of i'm like june could have explained this part it seems like val's trying maybe, to make this go terribly maybe she was worried june could fuck it up and make things a lot worse well maybe but you know that's that's the devil's talking, you know, like, and, and yes, it's, it's distinctly possible that June could have fucked it up, but like, then that's him fucking it up, you know, mm-hmm. give him the choice. And I, I totally understand. I loved in methods of rationality when Harry's explaining to Hermione that like, no, look, I understand what it's like. Cause she's like, can I please have, uh, you know, I shouldn't have to ask permission to ha- have you not fuck with my life. And mm-hmm. he's like, you know, we're both afraid of the same thing that if we take our hands off the wheel, we'll crash. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I totally get where he's coming from. And I loved that moment. And so maybe that's how Val's feeling here. It's like, oh, it's too risky to let June drive, you know? Yeah. But you've got to give your friends authorship of their life, right? 
I, yeah, I agree that this is very much Val's thing where she kind of like Bethel was thinking, I know better than June what he really wants. Val's like, I know better than them how to make this go correctly. Yes. Maybe she's right, but I still, I just really hate that kind of thinking. Me too. You know, on the plus side, Val's not raping anybody. So like, yes, you know, if, if she's uh, going to assume that she knows better, it's more victimless yeah. um, until somebody dies because Bethel's, you know, out of action. Um, you know, how many more people Valencia have to kill with her fucking meddling before she stops doing this? Um, we'll see, I guess. They did tell her, go in there and try your devil therapy on her. So, in fact, right? they, gave, they gave her the green light both times. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think she's actually fully to blame for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they have her put on the devil goggles and you're like, oh, you know, it's like asking Harry to go to his dark side. Right. And when or his dark side comes up with like. Oh, go ahead. Or telling Bilbo, you know, put on the one ring just this one time. It's important. Yeah, exactly. And then like, <laughs> well, what? Now you're pissed that I, you know, get, had all these these insights and, you know, scary thoughts? Like, that's you asked me to go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, the um, this is where Valencia uh, reveals that, you know, because from the outside, this totally looks like an ambush, right? Like a planned mm-hmm. attack on Bethel. Like, oh, sure. This is the first time ever everyone's been out of the house including all the time chamber bullshit. And now this is happening. Yeah. And Bethel's or Val's like, well, that was a coincidence. Everything else was just kismet, which I forgot was their name for narrative. Um, and it says only that last part was a lie. Valencia had known something was wrong. So she set things up and, you know, acted deftly here and silently there and, poked and prodded Amaryllis just Mm -hmm. shy of being a violation. Just shy. Yeah. You know I who mean, else thought they were just shy of a violation? <laughs> the house you're talking to. Right. I mean, you know, pushing against the line someone asks you not to cross is widely regarded in Earth culture as a dick move. Yeah. Like, the fuck is she up to? I don't know. Um, you know, this this could have been done completely. Um, again, that that's the twistiness of all of this. I don't know how to interpret it. This could have all been done with, you know, wholesome... I care for my friend's intent, right? Yeah. Something's up. I feel like I should get everyone out of the house just in case, right? Like, um, I think whenever she doesn't have the devil in, she's definitely doing it just for, you know, to help everyone. And even with the devil, I think that's her motivation. It's just devil influenced at that point. Yeah, but I guess I don't know. I mean, she was the only one in the group that knew something was wrong with June and she, sus- she suspected Bethel. Like, that sounds like devil insight to me. Yeah. Um, but the... I don't know. So like there's a perfectly nice explanation for all of this, but then there's also just like, okay, you're setting stuff up. You, you put things in motion and you knew that this was a violation of like what June asked you not to do, which is, you know, fuck with his life with devil stuff. Mm -hmm. And well, I wasn't fucking with his life. I didn't even ask him to go down to the beach today. You know, it's like, I just (laughs) told him a beach party is a great idea. Like, so I mean, it's, that's, uh, um, there's a word for, uh, Things that are true from a certain point of view. They're called <laughs> lies. <laughs> right? Got so many good quotes from that. Oh, man, it's great. Yeah. Uh, and Bethel asks, like, what did the group propose to do? And Val says, it was between destroying you, capturing you, or fleeing entirely. And Bethel's like, for this one thing? And, man, that was kind of heartbreaking because just... Just how much Bethel thinks like, oh my god, this isn't even a thing and they were going to kill me over it. But also, like, I don't know, seeing seeing two groups have such wide disconnects and seeing, like, how much harm can be done on accident, more or less, if you 
if you get negligent is it's kind of tragic and also it's 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 it is like a big deal for everyone else it just was a very frowny face moment for me like i feel bad for everything that just happened yeah it's frowny face is a good summary of it like you know bethel had the reaction i wanted once she realized that she had wronged him she's like holy shit i need to make this right how do i make him feel better like Mm -hmm. but then she still doesn't grasp the magnitude of what she did Mm -hmm. and you know i mean it's hard to say like this is the negligence thing right she had no idea what a big deal this was and it's like wait they were gonna kill me yeah like i didn't even know i crossed a line yeah you know I don't know. It so it is just frowny face. She she's her mind is too alien to quite grasp what's gone what exactly has gone wrong and how big of a thing it is. But her heart's in the right place, you know? Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean it, it it's facing the right direction. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it it could get to the right place if it kept walking yeah. for quite a while. I I think that's I think that's not the worst framing for it. Like, you know, it she's she's trying mm-hmm. it's just uh yeah a whole thing this was just something i kind of wanted to get your opinion on i don't know if it's really important or anything but uh it says this there's this line bethel was less likely to be violent to someone who couldn't heal back from it but she was a killer as part of her self-identity and like i was wondering would this sentence be any different if it didn't include the words as part of her self-identity like if it just like Buffett wasn't likely to uh, to be violent to someone who couldn't heal back, but she was a killer. It seems like it's saying basically the same thing. It's funny. My answer, uh, when I reread that quote, I thought that said that she wasn't a killer as part of her self-identity. And so my I, that was my answer with that understanding. But I think it actually still uh. works perfectly. So first off, awesome question. I think that's a really cool thing to point out because they are different questions. Or, or different framings, right? Uh, Bethel's not a killer is an objective statement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Bethel, Be- or excuse me, Bethel is a killer is an objective statement. Yes. Um, Bethel is a killer as part of her self-identity. That's a description of Bethel's subjective view of herself, right? Right. And- so so Bethel could view herself as not a killer. Like, she, she could view herself as I illiterately read that sentence. <laughs> and that that could be true for her even though she kills people see i think in that case it would have been uh meaningful and a very interesting sentence because we know that she is a killer and if she was not uh a killer in herself uh in her self identity i guess the way she saw herself like that's interesting information to us that's interesting information about her she's obviously self deluding or f- fucked up in some way like there there's something there to dig into but if she is a killer and she is a killer in a self-identity, well, that's just like, yeah, okay. So she's not practicing self-deception. She's not fucked up in some fundamental level on this part. Like, if you are something and you know that, then I, I don't know, like, what difference it makes to say that you know that. I just generally assume that, you know, if someone were to say to me, like, you know, Inyash is white, I'd, I'd be like, and Inyash is white as part of his self-identity, I... I I would never say that. I would only say that if I wasn't white in part of my self-identity, you know? Yeah. So adding it as part of the self-identity does make it an, uh, an extra descriptor, right? Like the fact that I was able to go this whole time thinking that sentence said the opposite thing that it said mm-hmm. um, just says how strong that that uh, those words are part of the self-identity. 
Um, in fact, if you'd asked me yesterday, does Bethel think that she's a killer, you know, in her own model of herself, I might've said, no, I probably would have said no. Cause I read the sentence and said, no. Um, yeah. So this actually is information. She views herself as a killer. Um, but would you again, have, if it wasn't for your misreading of the sentence, would you have thought that she didn't view herself as a killer? Um, like, I think she's been pretty darn explicit about the fact that she's killed many people and she didn't even, she, she felt bad about it in many cases and in other cases she felt good about it, but I never once suspected that she didn't know that she was a killer. It's not that I think you know that you're a killer. Like, June's killed people, but he yeah. doesn't, I don't think he views himself as a killer, right? Well, I like, think that would he, be. He views himself as somebody who has murdered people, but like viewing yourself as a killer, like, a, that's, that's like, um, you know, the, um, whatever the hardened badass, you know, tobacco mm. chewing guy from okay, Predator okay. kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm a killer. That's my whole thing, you know. I um, see. As opposed to like, yeah, I killed tons of people. I just, you know, I don't particularly like it. Mm. Um, I, I think that that's the difference, right? If it's part of your self identity, then it's it's a a bigger thing of how. Um, I don't know that that that's that's how I'm uh that's how I'm reading it. I see what you're saying. I guess yeah. How much how much importance you place on projecting the 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 image of a killer to other people is i guess what it's trying to say there well and you know how you view yourself is the thing too you know like if bethel didn't view herself as a killer um then it says a lot about bethel well right? you said that you think june doesn't think of himself as a killer right i think it's possible june is enough of like a i kick myself kind of person to you know feel terribly about it but he's never mm-hmm. like ran around murdering people for the fun of well one time <laughs> and he wasn't technically himself right you know if we can forgive him for that which honestly i think is harder to forgive than bethel's thing because bethel isn't oh, absolutely and i mean so i mean you know then it, i guess but that june's dead so we don't have to forgive june right um yeah. you know value altered june is uh it, noped himself out of existence um yeah so all right um what am i trying to say uh i guess it depends how much of it you consider you consider a core part of yourself yes and if he considered being a killer as a core part of himself i think it would you know that that little picture of yourself that lives in your head you know yeah and all of the little things in the plaque that that are underneath it if killer is one of them and it's a big part of like your self-identification mm-hmm. um I think that's different than if it's not there, right? Yeah, I guess that sentence of, is, of the body count behind you. Yeah, I guess that sentence is saying that it is a core part of herself that she believes, you know, a killer is what she is. Which is disappointing. I, I didn't think that was the case. I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I think anybody who has killed someone objectively, doesn't that make them a killer? I guess not necessarily. Descriptively, but in their self-identification. Right. It could be yeah. a non-central example, kind of like Martin Luther King Jr. was a criminal because he broke, you know, laws against segregation. But uh, but it's a non-central example of criminal. So it's kind of it, it's wrong to say that, you know, at his core, he's a criminal kind of thing. I, I have a way of the thing to illustrate this point. Do you yeah. do you consider yourself like a liar? Ah, I OK, good. Well taken. <laughs> so to, to finish that, you were going to say, no, of course not. And as like the next thing was going to be, well, have you, have you ever once fibbed? Yeah. And the answer is, well, sure. But yeah. I don't, you know, I, I've lied, but I'm not a liar, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's I think, I think that, that's, I wish I thought of that five minutes ago. That was good. Okay, cool.
so I guess we can uh, do, uh, move it on here. But, the, but great question. That was a really fun oh. conversation fodder. Um, oh, thank you very and, much. And a really, and I had never thought of like the you know I've, the mental the picture of myself that lives in my head was you know a phrase from methods of rationality, but mm-hmm. the placard under under it with labels and stuff that was brought on by that by your question here. So that's going to be part of my mental model of that thing forever. Oh, huzzah! All right, I, I feel awesome. Uh, there is one part here where Bethel gets mad, and it, it's wonderfully described here. It says that the something about the illusion changed. Subtle little differences created uh, the impression of malice. Her eyes were more sunken. The shadows around her are darker and deeper, and the folds in her clothing created points, almost spikes, rather than the curves they'd been before. And even the atmosphere in the room changed. The lighting was lower, and it was a little colder. Like, all that put together was just such a great description, both of, like, having the sense of malice and how that sense was conveyed by Bethel. I, I, I really loved reading it and just had to pull it out. Yeah, I, I liked the, if you didn't know better, you might attribute that to a passing cloud. Like, it made mm-hmm. me think of, remember that scene in Lord of the Rings, the fellowship with Gladriel? Yes, I mean, the one uh, where she gifts them? Uh, no, in the woods when Frodo offers her the ring and she goes all like, oh, you know, up yeah. to up to 12. Um, mm-hmm. If she went merely up to three, that's what this would have looked like, right? Yeah. Like a little you know, a little more shadowy. They, you know, could have been, it could have been subtle. Instead, they wanted to, to go, you know, wild with it, which is fine. It was a mm-hmm. fun scene. But if they'd gone subtle with it, this would, that, this is what that would have looked like. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, I think going the subtle is, it's the tastier route. It is more chef's kiss. Yeah. But it was less scary. Um, that, that scene was, was kind of like, you know, because she started yelling out of nowhere and everything got dark and weird lighting and, you know, yeah. Uh, but I mean, this this is scary on like a a subtler sort of. It's scary on a different in a different way, which I think is um scarier long term. Like if you just meet Gadriel once, turning up to twelve is perfect scary. But like having these creeping moments of of malice with someone who's in your party, like a Boromir, for example, right? That, that is the scarier, creepier because you're with them long term, and then you got to look out for that shit. That that's a really good comparison you know like when bilbo like reached for the ring and like it's actually yeah. scary um mm-hmm. if you pause on that frame it's, it becomes quickly hilarious okay i don't know why but like it, he just looks he looks he looks insane and i mean like his, his hair changes his eyes change his teeth are sharp like you know cool. so like all of that happens at once and then it goes back uh you know if boromir did that then it'd be like you know okay gotta watch out for when he goes full crazy but all Boromir did would be like a you know, he'd kind of like you know hunch over a little bit, you know, like looking at the thing, and it, mm-hmm. yeah, again, the subtle, subtle adds an atmosphere for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I gotta say, uh, so, so end of book seven. Um, yeah. So that's fun. Uh, yeah. it, at the end of this whole thing, Beth or so Val is like, well, uh, let's leave. It could take weeks or months. Um, and uh, I'll leave a note. Um, like we're we're going now, and uh, it just seems. My, my takeaway from it was like the whole thing seems like such a ba- like an obviously bad idea that yeah. it feels like somebody's carrying the idiot ball, but it's 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 crafted too um, uh, subtly and carefully for it to be an idiot ball situation. Why do you think it's a bad idea? Uh, because without talking to the group and fueled only with the insight of the spawn of Satan, she's <laughs> like, "I'm taking this house, and we're going to go off to you know." 
hide for a couple months, unfindable for no good fucking reason. Why wouldn't we be findable? Um, like, I think she's just, she's guessing her way through a minefield again. Even though the last time she did this, somebody died the next day, you probably wouldn't have died otherwise. Like, so A, right, well, Val's, fu- it- Val's fucking around with, with yeah. double stuff where she should be like, she should know to pump the brakes on it. And B, uh, like, under no circumstance would the group, you know, if they'd laid out, okay, well, here's the dozen things we imagine going down when you go inside to talk with her. You know, number 12 would never have been, you leave with her for two months and don't tell us, right? Yeah. Like, okay, so w- when you put it that way, it definitely sounds bad and maybe even stupid. So it sounds I, sinister. Yeah. See, I wasn't thinking of it that way. I was thinking, like, obviously, June and Bethel need to be separated. Like, they can't be together right now. And uh, Bethel needs to do a lot of work, like having a live-in therapist guide you through feelings and teaching you how to be human and uh, making it so you can reconcile with June is probably a good idea. Like, it almost felt like, uh, what is the kind of, when you go to a rehab center because you've taken a lot of drugs as a celebrity and you want to get better? I guess it is a rehab center, right? Yeah. It almost felt like, uh, you know, Bethel was going off to a rehab center with Valencia to be her single, permanent, you know, one-on-one therapist for the whole time and it seemed like a good idea at the time but i think maybe that's just because i cut so much slack to val because i think she's awesome i i mean that could well be it again everything val does has a perfectly um sensible and safe and sane interpretation to it you know which is exactly what the devils want you to think exactly there's no way to turn off the paranoia and frankly there's no good reason to um like the main thing you know, even with that, uh, you know, there, there might be a reason I was going to say, there's no reason she couldn't have left the house and said, Hey, we're going to go take a two month hiatus. You know, we'll be in touch. Mm. The reason she didn't do that is because they would have said, fuck, fuck that you are. And they would have stopped her. Right. So I get why she didn't do that, but to not say where they're going. Um, it's like, so what, we have an emergency. We can't contact you. Like that's insane. She does say she's going to write a letter. Maybe she just doesn't know yet where they're going to end up. And once they get there, she'll tell them. That's possible. I mean, I hope that June doesn't doesn't just forget that he can look that he can talk to Bethel whenever he wants. Yeah. Like, if they need her and like this is a thing that he re- like that doesn't cross his mind. I mean, that's fair. Things happen in emergencies, right? Mm-hmm. Harry, quote unquote, killed Hermione half a dozen ways because he didn't think of something. Yeah. Um, but it's. There's not like a distance parameter on that thing, is there? Uh, about soul checking in? No, I don't think as there is. As far as we know, there isn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, in, it, it didn't work from the infinite library, I think, was the only thing. Right. The one so, exception is it can't cross planes. Yeah. So as long as they stay on the same plane, which I'm assuming they, they will, um, unless they're going to hell. No, wait. Val can't go to hell. Um, <laughs> and it's not clear why Bethel would want to. So um, she I'm probably can't sure go Bethel either. could either. Yeah. Like, unless they can go through the front door, which, unless there's a front door. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe there's a nature trail to hell. Yeah. You know, I, I keep thinking of, like, long digressions I want to have, uh, but there's not time for them. Like, I was thinking a lot this week about the possibility of June dying and his narrative continuing in hell, right? hmm And I had lots of long thoughts about that, but I'll have to save them for another time. Maybe um, for a Patreon episode? Yeah. It's not this, or you know retro if we do one of those i know people have mixed feelings about them but like yeah something like what? that who I, doesn't love our retros point them out to me and i'll punch him 
<laughs> oh, well, I mean, Wes deserves a good punch in anyway. <laughs> right after a high five. Um, yes, yes. But he deserves a punching right in his fist with, you know, my fist, and we'll call it a fist bump. I think it's like, a, and I totally get it. You know, I, it's, it's like a, um, a clip episode, you know, of a TV okay. show. Yeah, that's and true. And it's like, what are you fucking kidding? I want a new content. I don't want to see your old stuff. Like, <laughs> clip show? Come on. Um, yeah. I think if I'm, if I'm reading West, right, I think that's where he's coming from and I totally get it. Mm. Um, but it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not just a clip show. Cause we're, we're talking about new stuff, but anyway, I'll save all that stuff for later. Um, yeah. So pass on the, I, where was I going with all, oh, cause of the hell stuff made me think of it. All right. Yeah. So fingers crossed. They're not fucking around too hard. I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, I have a thought at the end of this book here. Uh, I don't remember how many episodes ago it was, but remember that part where I said that like, as June gets more powerful tools, like they're they're gonna have to be taken away from him and like put on a shelf somewhere so the challenges stay interesting. Uh, I, I think that like he's now lost the house, which was their impenetrable fortress, and uh, this kind of like X-wing in a world of wooden ships, and he lost his social demigod companion all in the same same swoop. And uh, that's like right before an arc that looks like it's gonna take us into Anglican against a royal family with an army. Uh, and a ton of social challenges. I'm seeing probably lots of politics coming up here, and you know, possibly a dragon. I, I, I think this is this is places where having a social demigod would be a huge boon, and having an X-wing would be a huge boon. And now he doesn't have either of those. So uh, the the I, I'm going to give myself plus two points on this for predicting that um <laughs> they're going to have to keep stripping things away from him uh to keep this interesting. And um you know. Sometimes you just got to get a little bit of raping to to have your tools taken away to keep the story interesting. I don't know if you're allowed to earn points for predicting things, but okay, I'll, give I, him, I, I'll give them to you because you noticed a narrative trend that I think is is telling and we need to keep our eyes open for. You know, so by this point, I had almost stopped taking notes. They're very sparse here, but I had made this prediction before I got to this point that things were going to be had to be taken from June at some some way. It sounds like the kind of thing you would have said organically, like first time through too, for sure. I just uh, like I was giving you a hard time, but the, yeah, yeah. It, it but it, it does put to mind, you know, right now still magic is crazy strong. That's going to be nerfed here soon. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it could just well be that like it has a timer on it. It's good for three more months, right? Mm-hmm. So after that, he'll be at like level 30 something, which is cool, but it's not casually stop bullets while sleeping kind of thing, right? Yeah. So uh we'll have to see, but I don't know. I this isn't how I thought this would go at all. I thought that he and he and Bethel would have a heart to heart and she'd have a coming to Jesus moment and they'd they would you know, like Fen and June were going to do if she didn't die, right? Mm-hmm. Like, all right, we're we'll we'll I guess the difference there is that Fen and June could stay out of each other's way, right? Yeah. Where June can't live in Bethel without her being viscerally aware of the state of his bowels, right? Mm-hmm. So it the the invasiveness. I mean, he could have lived outside the bottle or something. I don't know. The I didn't think the ambush Bethel thing was going to be the optimal path, and you know this this devil insight be damned. And that mm-hmm. pun was an accident. Um, the I, I wish you hadn't pointed out it was a pun because I would have missed it. Yep, tough. And now it has been inflicted upon me. Oh dear. Um, yeah, I don't know. S- sending away one of your companions. Well, he didn't even send her away, but like if they just killed Bethel, 
then they wouldn't face a, well, if only you had Bethel to fix this problem. But the fact that she's out there, they're totally going to run into a problem that'll bite them in the ass because they don't have a flying, you know, X-Wing. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, if only Bethel were here, you guys would do fine. Like if it yep. was impossible, they wouldn't be screwed. But because it is possible, they're going to get screwed. Oh, yeah. All right. These are the kind of things. To, these are the kind of thoughts that keep me up at night. <laughs> these are the kind of things that make authors happy. Oh, see, I was trying to have. I think what might have been one of my top five segues ever into the no sleep. Oh, god club. damn it! I ruined it. I'm sorry. Nope, that's okay. It it's this is it's all organic. This is how <laughs> the sausage gets made. So maybe uh, I should uh, alter the sausage in post. Yeah, it's up to you. I wouldn't. Okay, fine. I won't. Um. All right. Chapter 169. Nice. The No Sleep Club. Um, <laughs> Are you allowed to say it for 169? That's 100 away from 69. Nice. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so, Bethel left behind the egress, but pretty much nothing else. Next to the metal bean of a ship pinned down by rock was a note from Valencia. Yeah. And June later says, like, you didn't have the energy to think of how they left. But I, I was guessing for a minute i'm like did she just like swim down through the rock I mean, and like I, she's actually only like 40 feet away because she, she can't go that fast <laughs> i assume that she swam down through the rock yeah unless <laughs> unless there's some other intent we don't know about but um that, that that's my maybe like first she flew away and then like the egress has an auto return feature i don't know no idea yeah she, she's probably just very slowly creeping away i like to think that she's just like yeah you know totally within listening distance right mm-hmm. she's like batman after he disappears from the ledge and you know <laughs> they're all like well where'd he go and he's just hiding behind the desk or waiting until everyone leaves <laughs> all right so um J- june is told that uh he needs to do his best to make sure he's the healthy happy juniper that uh he's always struggled to be this is in val's note and i'm like has he though has he always struggled to be the happy healthy juniper yeah yeah um you mean like has he always done that or has he been doing that i mean i guess he's done it now and then but i I think you know do your best to make sure you're the happy healthy juniper you've always struggled to be seems like uh maybe what, what's that thing um quirrell said that be careful trying to compliment people because then they they'll feel like they have to live up to those compliments <laughs> very different circumstance but yes <laughs> uh, i think it was like you're like the most evil person i've ever met or something and oh we get yes. about the compliments you dole out in a stranger yeah um I, yeah it is a sort of framing i think that i you're right it i don't know i read it to be like hey you know focus and try and be happy but yeah the one that you've always struggled to be eh, it's, is that bad devil psychology there i don't know um there was a so he he's 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 thinking about obviously well shit this all went down real fast and the unspoken idea was this all had been organized by the dungeon master in the course of less than a week had been stripped of my two most powerful allies and one of my magics Mm -hmm. Um, so two thoughts one if the dm did orchestrate this somehow uh without violating anyone's free will whatever that could possibly mean um like how could you make people do stuff without violating their free will but anyway um if he did do that then that's interesting and maybe he won't fuck them for bethel not being here but second of all val is not your second most powerful ally sir you don't not by not by a long shot it's grack or raven like well in in in, hmm i mean i guess unless we're killing hellspawn from from remotely 
you know, that's the one thing she can do better than anyone else. Yes, but there's also the the matter of like not all challenges are physical challenges, and if there's ever a a social challenge that he has to deal with, she's like his number one weapon. Social challenges are just challenges that you failed to solve with punches. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, you should be able to punch your way out of any situation. I mean, you're not wrong. So, like, if, uh, I don't know, they're sitting down. Di- Two-second digression. There's, like, uh, one of the central plots of Skyrim. There's a civil war going on. Mm-hmm. And you need to catch a dragon so that you can interrogate it and have it tell you how to get to find the big bad dragon that you got to kill. Mm-hmm. And no one will let you do this until you put a stop to the civil war because no one's going to let you trap a dragon in their property, you know, while there's a war happening. And so you can pick a side and fight to end the war, or you can invite everyone to like the, the gray beards mountaintop fortress and they can have like a discussion. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Fine and dandy, and that's usually the route I go because their stupid squabble is pointless. Um, so just telling them to you know shut up while we solve the real problem is always more satisfying for me. But the mm-hmm. uh, what you can't do, other than like just joining a war and doing it the long way, is just slap them into submission, which you should totally <laughs> be able to do because you're like invincible god man. Mm-hmm. You're like, look, do it or I'll kill all of you. Like that should totally be an option. And Fallout often does let you have like the button where you at least get to say that. Yeah, and then everyone pulls pulls their gun and you know demonstrates that you don't know what you're talking about and kills you. But um, well, I was about to say, if you're an invincible godman in Skyrim, why do you even need their permission to capture a dragon on their territory? Just go and do it, and if they have a problem with it, they can take it up with your fists. Yeah, because the game doesn't let you. Ah, yeah, game. you have to ask and you know get the thumbs up first. Which why would you need that? No idea. Got it. Okay. Yeah, you know, games got to have bumper rails on them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, in the text, it is said, it feels weird to have this group be so small, which is something I was kind of thinking, too, at the same time. Uh, But also, like, it gives me hope that maybe we are going to get to have a richer and deeper exploration of Raven or Palada, because with less people to focus on, like, June doesn't have to go make the rounds and quite so much, and we can, like, focus on the new people and get to know them quite a bit more. And when you know it, that's basically exactly what we get. Yeah, we we get him talking with uh with the new people. Um, oh, eh, all right, <laughs> all right oh, I'll mention this. The Palada makes a bunch of puns about uh about um Heschnell. his name. Thank you, Heschnell losing his head, and uh, those they were actually pretty good. Uh, I thought, okay, that's that's clever, I guess. Anyways, June says, "Well, that was pretty good for being off the top of your head." And the next line is, Palda looked at me as though she was offended by my taste in puns, then burst out laughing. I'm like, I literally had no idea what the hell was going on at first. I had to reread it and think about it. And then I was like, oh, off the top of your head. Okay. Honestly, it didn't really click for me until you pointed it out either. Um, okay. So, you know, I think what's fun is that, like, you know, she's a fe- like the look like she's offended by his taste in puns when she just made like 20 of them like yeah. that's that's the funny part um mm-hmm. but yeah off the top of your head yeah I, I didn't click for me either um but anyway yeah so you got to chat with uh palada for a little bit and then they all decide to sleep in the bottle because they're homeless mm-hmm. so they're they're back to being just straight up murder hobos not murder homeowners <laughs> and murder hobos are always happier that way <laughs> um 
Oh yeah, so once dinner was done, I went outside for a walk, though the dough was nowhere to be seen. And I just had to pull this out because I basically called it. I just put in my notes like, oh, I'm sure it's probably just like the size of a pea doing magic deer shit somewhere. <laughs> and it wasn't exactly that, but it was basically that. That was a really good call. <laughs> I mean, well, it could be gone, you know, That's, and it, it can't leave yeah. the bottle. So I'm like, okay, it's just, it's just fucking around somewhere. Yeah. Know, why not? Um, so he's, he's sitting there thinking he climbs up on a rock and is, uh, I guess thinking. Yeah. And Raven climbs down next to him, mimicking his pose with her arms wrapped around her knees. And she says, it's nice to have another member of the no sleep club. And I totally called that last week though. That wasn't yeah, like did. a, that wasn't a real difficult call. So. Still, points yeah. for making the call. I, I half a gold star. Yeah, uh, they talk. <laughs> how do how do L work? <laughs> how do L? Oh yes, yeah. He, he's wondering how L work, and they talk about that a little bit. And then Raven says, "You're wondering about bowel movements and urination. I've gotten the question so often that I know that particular feel to the silence it engenders when someone is holding back. And I regret my comment already. My comment was, or holding it in." That was a really, I mean, you know, it's totally fine. You made a joke and it, it might fall under what some people call puns, but I thought that was funny. See, I liked it when it was a joke. And then when you pointed out that it was a pun, I was like, oh, now I feel bad about myself. See, this just don't put labels on stuff and just enjoy it. Right? No, I mean it. This is advice. <laughs> I, I, that sounds like a thing Bethel would say, though. No, nah, I mean, if she said it, she's not wrong. You know, it doesn't mean, you know that no no don't put, I, don't, don't put labels on this it's just it's just uh non-consensual sex um okay. <laughs> it just means that like you know it's like like i typically don't like rom-coms right yeah um there is a movie that came out a couple years ago called you'll always be my maybe which is a rom-com and it had all the boring parts of a rom-com but it had like this one amazing like segment with keanu reeves that made the entire movie worth watching yeah. and so like i don't like rom-coms but i liked part of this movie enough to recommend the movie um or at least that scene but uh you know so like i guess what i'm saying is like i could take the labels off and just be like yeah i liked the movie but if i say i don't like rom-coms then i'm just like not allowed to like that movie that's that's a fair point okay hmm. yeah you're right also uh, now that you mentioned the rom-com thing i remember uh when june and fen were first starting to have a relationship you're like oh god relationship stuff i always hate that in books I was like, don't, don't, don't judge it before, you know, you read it. And I guess that's the sort of, same sort of thing, like labeling things that, you know, don't like relationship stuff, but then it turns out to be okay. So you're right. Maybe I shouldn't label things as puns and I should stop identifying as the pun hater. Maybe. I think if I claim victory too loudly, then you'll retreat you know, further up onto, onto the hill. But, uh, you know, I think that's just the way to go. And to, to give you a victory as well, I think you're right. Like I have this like aversion to like, uh, why has it got to be a romance thing? Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, if you didn't say it was going to be awesome character stuff, I thought you were going to, I thought you said this was going to be romance. Right. And so like, <laughs> you know, it, it, you call it romance and you scare me away. But if you're like, no, it's just dope ass character moments. I'm like, oh, then sign me up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, even though they're the same thing, it just depends what you call it. So exactly. Um, just awesome character moments that happen to deal with, you know, sexy stuff. Yeah. Um, this, this does tie into the next thing I pulled out. Cause it was about Fen. Uh, June's, Sitting there and he says, I started thinking about Fen. Thoughts of Fen were always depressing, always unbidden. She was, after all, a gaping hole in my life, similar to the one that Arthur had once left. Oh. And that jumped out at me intensely. Because, um, like, if the point of Arab is helping him get over his grief of losing Arthur, it seems to be working. Yeah. Uh, 
Then again, the obvious other thing is like Arthur's not dead. He's been told he's here on air, right? So it's oh. like it's it's still a hole, you know, that's still hurt, but it's like he's not uh he's not gone anymore, right? He's just missing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's what he meant by had once left back when he thought that he was dead. Yeah, that could be it. Or maybe okay. he is, you know, finding closure with it. But I don't think he, that that actually can't be it. There's no closure to be found yet because Arthur's not gone, right? Yeah. I mean, and- Arthur might have died 30 years ago, you know, 10 years into his time as Uther, right? Mm-hmm. But like for now, there's a hope that he can actually talk to his friend again. I got to say, thank you for pulling this out because I, that did not jump at me out at me. I kind of just glazed over it, I guess. And it was nice to have that pointed out. This is what makes talking about stuff so fun. Um, yeah. Rachel and I do this, are doing this more and more with like stuff we watch. Uh, one of these days you'll watch Ted Lasso and wonder why you put it off for so long. And you'll get <laughs> I mean, to enjoy uh, Nate's character arc. I, I know the reason I put off anything so long. And it's just because I only have so many hours in the day and I seem to be getting slower and uh, not using them as effectively as I used to. Part of me is envious of your ability to be so busy all the time and part of me is just so glad that i'm not that busy all the time well i I, mean i burn through reruns and watch tv and play video games and shit all the time and you're like i only have like two hours of cinema time a week like you know i gotta allocate it carefully um you say busy but sometimes that busyness is like you know spending too much time reading things on the internet that's fair which which is not necessarily a good use of time. I, I like it, it, people. People are like, "Oh, okay, you were reading things, you were expanding your mind, or whatever." And I'm like, you know, sometimes it's kind of the equivalent of just watching a friend's episode or something. It's uh, it's not always a good use of my time at all. So I, I, I am flattered that you think so much of me, but I am wasting a lot of my hours as well, just in a different way. Well, if, if you if you do think you're wasting them, you know, put your phone down and watch Ted Lasso. Um, okay. If you're using them productively and if you're enjoying your time on your phone or, or, you know, reading stuff on the internet, then go for it. But, you know, if you walk away from it, like, God, I just wasted two hours, then fuck that and just, you know, have fun. Over the, over the last, I think, two months, I have been feeling that way. And I've been uh, move, walking away from my phone more often over the last couple of weeks to to make up for that. I'm feeling better. I'm glad that you've done that because I, I felt that way. That's why I mentioned my Reddit feed is... I got to say, so 50% cat stuff and the other, like, probably 30% of the remainder is, uh, you know, other animal things or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's only, like, two things on there that are, like, in the annoying category. But it used to be mostly that because that's what, you know, brings you to your phone, right? Yeah. So I finally just turned and- all that shit off and I'm like, no, I don't I don't have that. I can't deal with it anymore. So anyway, exactly. good on you for noticing that it was bumming you out and uh, pushing it away because that's a life lesson everyone, I think, could benefit from. Right. Um, I'm glad it only took me a couple months to learn it. Some people need ears. Yeah. Jeez. Well, have I, bud? Um, oh, well, thank you. I mean, I'm still not fully disengaged, but I'm getting there. I mean, it, you know, it's it's steps. It doesn't, it'd be frankly weird if you just saw the problem and solved it in one night. So, um, <laughs> cool. you know, you're, 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 you're great. You're not Superman. So, yeah. Um, right. All right. So Raven's, Raven's chatting with them and they're talking about Maddie. And mm-hmm. he, she's kind of, they're kind of having this thing of like, yeah, that's why I think I've had a weird time trying to get to know you. It's cause like you look and act like this girl that I have weird feelings about. And Raven's like, well, what'd you see in her? And there's some back and forth. And he's like, well, it's an easy answer. I just don't think it reflects very well on me. Even if I give the long sympathetic version, I don't think it reflects well on me. And like the quick and easy answer is she had big boobs and she allowed June to touch them. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's half well, of the I real guess, answer. I guess you're not wrong. 
that, that's half of it. The other half is what he says. It's like, look, she made me feel special. Yeah. And, you know, that's all that I needed was someone to like me. And, you know, that that's not unflattering. I think it's on, you know, it's awesome of him to admit that, but he, he doesn't mention the two giant elephants in the room in the following paragraphs. So I guess he's not ready for full disclosure, which is kind of fair because you don't want to tell the person who shares her body. Right. Yeah. Be like, well, I was fixated on her giant tits and you just, you know, stare down at, at Raven's yeah. giant tits. Right. So, you know, them big old titties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yeah. So, this was the big buildup because you've been saying, oh, she's she's had the romance for oh, she's had the romance for uh, um, that noise was me accidentally Uther. waving my hand. Yeah, I, I gestured with my hand and accidentally unplugged my headphones. Um, oh, yeah. So she, you're, you, you've been saying that she's had the romance for Uther this whole time. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, no, man, she just loved him, you know, like as a charismatic, awesome force. Um, mm-hmm. If. If anyone's seen Berserk, kind of like how people saw Griffith, you know, the the leader of the mercenary band, you know. He was the really um really pretty one, right? He was the pretty blonde guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, but, you know, few people I'm sure wanted to bang him, but for the most part, they were just like this guy is just like charismatic and and amazing, you know. Are you trying to tell me that you think less than 90% of the population of that world wanted to bang him? Uh yes. Because his mercenary band, save one, was entirely male. And yeah, and they all wanted to bang him. I think that they had more hangups about homosexuality in the roughly Middle Ages when this takes place. Uh, they were very and, and roughly only ten percent of the population is gay. So, I mean, I, maybe they were conflicted about it, but like they wanted to bang him. Well, be that as it may, <laughs> I think it's entirely possible to have non-romantic feelings about people so she says oh yeah that's uh, true well i mean non- well here's the thing you were right that it was romance but this was the oh, part okay. where like it came to a head was like she's saying for me it was about someone older wiser more experienced mm-hmm. you know a rock that would shelter me from the winds a solid foundation a raw protective power i wanted to help i wanted to pitch in i wanted to be wanted mm-hmm. and none of that says i wanted the d right she, she could have been saying that about anybody like, sure. So it it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, someone could say that about I so anyway, I'll, I only pulled that out just because it's like, oh, okay, so now we're gonna find out whether Inyash was right or um whether like, you know, this was a non romantic thing. Because you kept mm-hmm. saying it was romance, and I was like, doesn't have to be, man. But mm-hmm. it turns out it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I just, you know, I think I mean I, I, I personally saw it before like we got to this point. I I don't know. I you know, when you're I'm assuming that at 12 years of age it wasn't necessarily like explicitly about the D. It was more more of like the crush that you get when you're a kid, which is a little different sometimes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, and anyway. yeah. I was trying to think of like cuz usually it was like, you know, other children. Um but you know, maybe most, maybe a lot of kids had like that one older, you know, well, not, you know, not that much older, but like that young teacher, right? Yeah. Yeah. The young, the young, pretty teacher in fifth grade who, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe it, people had that. I mean, part, I've heard a lot of times, um, an important part of a crush is that it's safe, that it's someone that like you couldn't sleep with anyway. So that's why those initial feelings can be kind of like explored safely by yourself with, uh, with that sort of, uh, uh, focus 
That could be. If we're, if we're talking of like childish crushes, though, the sleeping with thing is, isn't really factoring in yet. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm okay. so like, my childhood, I meant like early puberty. I, I don't I don't understand the concept of like pre-puberty crushes, but I think we talked about that already. Oh, yeah. That's just a weird quirk of humans, I guess. Yeah. So uh, I guess I'm not sure which way is weird. Maybe it's half and half. I have no idea. Maybe I'm the weird one. Yeah. Or, or maybe you're the majority or maybe you're exactly 50 percent. So. All right. Um, you also like don't like cilantro. Uh, if anyone true. else doesn't like cilantro, can you can you weigh in and see if you had crushes pre-puberty? Maybe there's a correlation here. <laughs> the, you, if we find that correlation, it's going to be the craziest and also most awesome thing ever. I'd like my Nobel Prize uh, mailed to my house. I don't want to go to it. Well, yeah, no, fly me out there. All expenses paid trip. That's right. I want my Nobel Prize. Do you get Nobel Prize, prize for just like guessing shit and being right, or do you have to like actually do work? I feel like you have to work. I mean, I think you have to do work as well, but it always starts <laughs> out with a guess that turns out to be right. Fair enough. Um, yeah. All right. Raven, yeah. She, she does say that, like, uh, talking about this, I understood all the levels that it was unrealistic and impossible on, and my heart still got swollen at the sight of him. And I just, yeah, I wanted to say that, like, I feel that it's kind of silly, but I still got, like, this major soft spot for my early crush as well, even though, you know. I know it's not realistic and it never could happen or anything, but it's just like I, I still remember, you know, that person. I'm like, I, you know, if, if if something were to come down where she needed my help, I'd be over there. Was your boyhood crush a peer or was it like a, a person on TV or something? No, it was, uh, well, like, I mean, crush in the terms of like in real life, someone that I could interact with. Like, I, I don't I really count celebrity crushes, but yeah, it was something that was about 10 years older than me. And I was 14, 15 at the time. Right on. Okay, so I, I I was gonna skip. I mean, I, I think I feel I I think I have a you know I think everyone has a similar you know soft spot for their uh, you know adolescent crushes, but maybe we're just both bizarre softies. Oh, um, you also managed to marry yours, so that's pretty awesome. Oh, we weren't crushes as kids. Oh no, no, we sh- we shared proximity as children. Um, oh, okay, okay, yeah. No, it, it honestly, I think it would have been weirder. If, well. It would be a different story. No, yeah. it just it happens to be that we went to the same elementary school. Um, For some reason, I got the idea that like like you had crushed on her at one point or something. No, nah, that'd be super cute though. Yeah, um, I would. I mean, that's why you guys are the cutest couple. But you're still pretty darn cute. Literally, all I remember from elementary school is that she had double jointed elbows, and she remembered that I was an identical twin. Um, nice. You know, so like it's it was just uh, it was enough to where like when I saw you know like her picture on someone else's Facebook when I was at their house. I was like, oh, wait, I know that person. So like that, that's how the childhood part came into be or came into play. I wonder, would you have remembered her if she didn't have double jointed elbows? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say. The picture is also remarkable. It was black and white, uh, save for a strip of bright red, like vertically on the middle of the lips, like about finger width wide and a purple mohawk. Um, oh, nice. And so, you know, like the Facebook timeline UI back then was like a one inch square right like mm-hmm. a postage stamp and so even that was enough to make me do a double take um, that's cool yeah all right i want to power through yeah. this I, I put it in the yeah. maybe color but uh june says i offered to let her into the garden long after it had already collapsed into ruin long after it had it had already collapsed into ruin he's talking about maddie yeah and raven's like that garden being and he's like our friend group oh i thought you meant coitus and <laughs> i'm like what would it mean for your sex garden to collapse into ruin I I was huh. gonna not think about it too hard, but now I've brought it up. So Alfred to let her into the longer. 
um, his ability to have a healthy sexual relationship with someone. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's probably the exploration needed. I was gonna say like get an erection or something, but like <laughs> then it's not coitus, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know under most definitions. Um, all right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. Okay. Solved that so, mystery for me. Because uh, I, I was saying Raven seems smart, and I don't know how she could have walked away with that, but that makes sense. You know, it's it. I I always forget that Raven is looks like Maddie. Like it just is not in my consciousness at all. And this chapter like reminded me of it, and I'm probably going to forget about it again in next week's reading. But it just it it has never stuck with me for some reason, and I wish it would have because that would make everything feel a little bit different with her in the in the frame. I don't really have pictures of any of the characters in my head. Like with Raven, I get I, I have like this picture of like a a cloak that looks like the wing of a raven. You know, like it's it's got jagged edges and it's black and you know shiny or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that sense, she doesn't look like a teenage girl. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I don't know what these people look like, right? Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, th- this this moment I wanted to grab really quick because. Uh, well, I'll just read the quote. He's talking about um, Raven's unrequited Uther love. And he says, I'm sorry, it must have been rough. And he, then he thinks, it felt empty when I said it. Like It was the kind of thing that I hated to hear, but sometimes there are no options for conveying empathy. And yeah. like maybe this moment will make him more sympathetic to the people who said the same sort of thing to him when, in the wake of Arthur's death. Right? I hope so. And he's just yeah. like, oh, wait, there literally is nothing good to say. Yeah. Right? I, no, it's true. Like, I, I've been trying very hard never to say anything like you know i to someone i know how you feel or i know how you must feel or something because i i've you know a number of times heard people say or seen i guess on television or read about in a book not ever in real life someone say you couldn't know how this feels like this situation is unique or different or whatever and like i'm like okay yeah that's that's a good point plus also i've never been in you know that exact situation that the person is in so so i try not to say those words but like you're right there's lots of times where you just what can you possibly say aside from, I guess, I'm sorry, this sucks. You know, it's interesting that you, you mentioned like the trying not to tell people like I know how that feels because it feels to me like if someone would be like, you can't know how this feels. My situation is, you know, special and different. And like it is because every situation is unique. But like if if you could be like, no, I've also lost people, right? Yeah. Like I, I if I don't know the exact flavor of your pain, I've at least had the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we can commiserate together or I can, you know, help you with the techniques I had or something. Right. Um, I think that by, by saying no mind special and different, you're doing the thing that June did. You're just pushing people away. Yeah. Um, but maybe I'm being too hard. So it kind of sucks that he does feel empty because like, I'm sorry and must have been rough, I guess. Or true. Yeah. I mean, what do you say? Must have been rough does sound kind of shitty, I guess. Maybe like. I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. What do you say? Like, no, that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Sometimes that's all you can say. Sucks to be you, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that must have been rough as a nice way of putting it. But like, sometimes all that you can say is like, "Yeah, the man that fucking sucked." Mm-hmm. Or it sounds like sounds like that was a drag. <laughs> yeah. Not, all right. Not a not a good time in Auschwitz. <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, she's having a drag too about a. I, I thought. I, 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 we're torn on this exposition fairy. Okay, so exposition fairy is a term that Uther calls her all the time, like with endearment. It sounds like like ruffled her hair, and I was like, ah, thanks, my exposition fairy. And uh, but she she saw the TV tropes page for it, and like the more she thinks about it, the more she's like, oh my god, like he was he was Arthur, 
he was familiar with this. He was calling me an exposition fairy. It's it's grown more and more upsetting with time. And like I, yeah, I felt really bad for her. That that would be like a kick in the gut to think that like this thing that was someone's special name for you. Like I don't know, people often have like special special terms of endearment for their loved ones. And then you find out, like, a decade later, that was my secret way of, you know, saying, huh, you're not a real person. You're a plot device. Like, eh, that would suck. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think that it could be a term of it. I don't see why it couldn't be both. I think that the reason that it that is kicking her in the gut is because uh, she doesn't know how he meant it. You know? Yeah. Was I just his literary device or was I, like, a person that he affectionately named that? Yeah. You know, like the second is sweet and, you know, exposition varies are important and Mm -hmm. she's taking the rest of her existence in stride. Like, I think I existed to teach you through this and maybe I exist to teach you that. But being called an exposition fairy hurts her feelings. Like maybe maybe this is a sign that she's not really taking it as in stride as she's trying to say she is that it's sort of it's sort of upsetting to her. And you just what can you do about it? You know? Yeah, that's a good point. I think the other thing, too, is that like it's. Maybe you, I, th- I think you nailed it. It's like, I thought this was a special utherism that he, you know, called me, but no, he just, he, he read it on TV tropes. Yeah. Um, also, it seems irresponsible that Amaryllis would have printouts of TV tropes laying around because they could, any one of them could link to Shia LaBeouf, you know? That's a good point. They, they talked about like, nope, no more stuff from the internet. And, yeah. you know, while not pulling, you know, say uh, the catalog for Walmart, like that sounds perfectly safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but not doing a uh, you know TV tropes seems like a a safe bet, but she needs all the narrative knowledge she can get her hands on. So, and I'm sure there's a TV tropes page for Shia LaBeouf. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. And the the thing is, I don't think he's ever played an exposition fairy, but she doesn't know that, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. He could have been the the little caption at the top, and he has been like um uh, acting since he was a kid, right? Yeah. Could have been a fairy in something. Could have been. Yeah. And you don't have to be like a fairy to be an exposition fairy. Um, That's true. Very irresponsible of Amaryllis. Yeah. Dangerous, dangerous. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Bethel can read stuff safely and, and she can say the cannibal's name without summoning him. Maybe she asked Bethel, like, can you proofread these real quick before you pull him in? Oh, yeah. Shit. They just also lost their access to pulling real world oh, stuff. Bitch had the backpack. Yeah. Uh-huh. She ate the backpack. Shoot. No more things from Earth. Uh, well, that's going to bite them in the ass. Um, yes, it is. Okay, so Raven kind of wants to talk with the uh, Arab parallel of Maddie, mm-hmm. who I'm assuming is also named Maddie, but for some reason, or for obvious reasons, doesn't look like Maddie. Yeah. Um, let's call her just Arab Maddie. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't want me to go speak to Arab Maddie? Like, in theory, I'm quite a bit like her, and but I'm older and more experienced. Like... Would you turn down a chance to talk with an older, more experienced version of yourself? One who could give you some advice on avoiding pitfalls that you ran into? And he says, I don't know. And then I was thinking, of course, of the dungeon master, because how could I not? And I'm like, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was dragging my finger to highlight that and be like, oh, he has talked to an older version of himself. Mm. Um, But then he's thinking of the dungeon master already. So he beat me to it. Um, And she's thinking like the kind of advice you would give younger Maddie, uh, the Arab one. And she's... She says there's the period, there was a period, a dark period where it all seemed pointless. I don't know if that's what she's going through, but if it is, it would probably help for her to hear that it gets better. And one of the good things about my advanced age 
is that mm-hmm. I can essentially have those conversations with my future self right now. Um, you know, wait, you can kind of like, so? it, this, this has been a, a like trial slash trauma slash grief slash stress coping technique of mine for at least five years. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh no, wait longer. Um, it, I don't know. I might've just like, I might've articulated it some five or six years ago, but the idea that like, I can be sitting there feeling the the pain or stress and be like, wait, well, I feel this bad about this in a year. And it's like, mm, no, of course not. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know if it, you know, that doesn't make it hurt less or whatever, but it, it like just the knowledge of knowing that you won't feel this way forever is it like, you, is helpful. Yeah. Like you can, you know that there's light at the end of the tunnel, even if you can't see how long the tunnel is. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I can have a, a conversation with my future self. Good call. Uh, well, Raven is asked by June whether he can say something a little bit rude. And Raven's like, well, I made it 1,767 years without anyone being rude to me. And it would be just awful of you to break the streak. <laughs> and June's like, hi. And she's like, I also am not sure how I would be able to handle it emotionally. Intellectually, I can understand how I would have to pick myself back up from the despair that would inevitably follow from the rudeness on your part. But from where I am right now, just contemplating you being rude to me, it seems impossible that I would recover. Delightful. Yeah, I just thought Raven was really fucking cool. She didn't know she had that kind of like dope sarcasm under her belt. It was great. Like, it wasn't just great because like of her initial thing although that was good too but just how she kept going with it and dragging it out was fantastic yeah she kept beating it it was perfect mm-hmm. um sometimes you got to make sure that horse is really dead and if you still see it twitching you, you go beat some more all right yeah exactly uh and it's, it's funnier the deader the horse is as far as i'm concerned <laughs> exactly um, so the rude thing is gonna say is that she's smarter than maddie um which you know I don't think that's rude. It's rude to Maddie, but Maddie's not even here. So I don't know. Uh, And, and it's true just because you're, you know, 10 X her age. Of course you're smarter than she is, but Mm -hmm. that's not just what he's saying. You have more life experience. He's saying like, you know, Maddie seemed like a kind of dim-witted child to me. You seem like this sage old young girl. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I think, so I think that's the, why it's rude, but I just I loved the uh, the whole thing there. Um, I want to just look at this with you real quick because the DMPC said it. Raven says that Vervain used to say that connection was the most powerful force in the universe, and that it all boiled down to one thing connecting to another thing. Mm-hmm. Now that I read that very slowly and carefully, it sounds like the kind of inscrutable bullshit, wise old wizard stuff <laughs> that I can't possibly discern anything from. I agree. Yeah, I, I mean. It's it's just that's just a truism, yeah. Connect, you know, connection is a powerful universal force, and things connect to other things. And all right, thanks, Gandalf. Like, if I are, I kind of already knew that. Yeah. All right. Well, I I, I just I, I highlighted that and then kept reading because I didn't finish reading until today, um, like at lunch or I don't know, I guess around noon. And yeah. so I was like, okay, mark this down to look at later. Um, okay. Squeaking so, uh, it in. Yeah. Um. Okay. I uh. So Raven is talking about how she got better at uh, relating with other, well, I'm going to say other humans, other humanoids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said, I started to recognize that glassy look when people didn't care about what I was saying. And I got better at conveying what excited or interested me, which it's fucking, you know, it, it's a good skill to have. And, um, 
both both the you know recognizing when people are bored and getting better at exciting them with, with what you're excited about. And I just I really wish that uh, conversation skills had been taught. Like I, sometimes I think about school and I think about what a colossal waste it is, but also all the things that are useful and could have been taught if if school wasn't such a waste i don't know uh, I, i'm just glad that at least now nowadays there's youtube so if you want to learn things you can learn just about anything you want to including conversational skills like that yeah it's interesting that that is such a subtle conversational skill i, I think it'd be hard to teach especially to young people mm -hmm. but like in general yeah school wastes time like i still don't know what to put in on like the the you know dependence or whatever line withholdings line on my w-2s when i get a job oh, yeah, yeah. And like someone should have told me that in school, for God's sake, but no one ever did. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, like I still I, guess. <laughs> um, I kind of, I kind of wonder if that all that time hadn't been wasted in school, if people would have had more practice having conversations. Because you're right, like that's not easy to teach. It takes a lot of practice. Like maybe people could have actually learned this kind of thing or or something else that's useful. Yeah, you're right. I just I, dismissed it as like hard and maybe impossible, but no one ever fucking tried. So mm -hmm. it's probably super doable. Um, yeah, I, what I liked about it though too, is that June also had this problem. I think he's gotten better at it too. Yes. Yes. And so have I. And, I, yeah. And even oh, the I second definitely part. I had that issues with it. Yeah. That, well, I, I'm glad that you pulled this out and read it slowly because I read it too fast when I was doing it. I got better at conveying what excited or interested me. I'm also getting better at that and I didn't realize it. So, uh, oh. hot damn, Alexander's a, a smart cookie getting all this stuff distilled into, um, you know, articulate thoughts. Hell um, yes. And mad props to you as well. Well, we're getting there. Yeah. Um, Raven says that about Uther, he wanted to know what I knew. He wanted me to go out and learn things, then bring them back to him. He was like an artisan taking the precious metals and turning them into something beautiful or useful. A plan or a device made from the raw ingredients I brought him. And I thought that was a really beautiful description and that this would be a great existence because... Being useful is awesome, especially when it's being useful to something super important, like saving the world a billion times. And she doesn't like being an exposition fairy. I mean, this this is exposition varying. Yeah, I, I think she doesn't like that. The implication the of the term. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. She liked. She loved the role. She hates the the, the handle on it because it's like fuck. I thought that this was a okay. Yeah, we. I think I understand that. Yeah. But yeah. Um. So he's gonna go. Uh. He's going to go off and train for a bit. Oh, the, oh, hold on. The doe wakes up. The doe was the rock the whole time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he takes that as his cue to go off and train by himself to get his skills back up. Mm -hmm. And she asks if he wants help or, or company. And it's the line is, I looked at her and saw Maddie. And that, I don't know, that hit me. It felt like a really powerful line after all that gut spilling that they've been talking this whole time. And, and she's another person, but he looks at her. And he sees Maddie still, and it was it was a whole thing for me. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, you know, in Uther's like recording message that he left to uh, June, he says seeing familiar faces everywhere, mm -hmm. um, and what like a mind fuck that was. Like we don't know what most of his party looked like. You know, maybe the changeling looked like Raymer. It was one of Raymer's characters, right? Mm -hmm. um, maybe. Well, uh, and the thing is, like he's he's been around Raven a lot and he's only ever really talked about her as Raven, which is maybe one of the reasons I forgot that she looked like Maddie, but like he's just had this long, deep heart to heart with her and 
he looks at her and he sees Maddie, like, even though she's a different person to her, like, he's like, you're so similar to Maddie. After this discussion with you, I see Maddie when I look at you. I, I read it more as like an intrusive thought. Oh. Like, it, it, you know, he, he knows it's Raven. He sees her. And, it, but it's like, you know, they're slamming into his eyes is like, oh, it's fucking Maddie. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I read it a different way. And those are, that's also a really good way to like look at it. E- either way, it's, it's still a, a powerful line. And I'm, uh, I think the ambiguity there isn't necessarily bad. Um, yeah. Cause you don't necessarily know which of your thoughts are intrusive. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, some of them come with like nice little labels on them that's, that basically scream. I'm an intrusive thought, but some don't. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, Amarillo yeah. shows back up. I was worried that she wasn't actually for a while that she wasn't going to make it back. Like, make it back from where she went to, like, she went to town to have meetings. Like that's just, that's just begging to saying I went to go get kidnapped or some shit. Right. Oh, okay. She, she has been kidnapped a bunch. Yeah. I mean, she, she's pretty strong now, but you know, so is whatever the next thing they're going to fight is. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, wait, did she just go wander off by herself and it's the middle of the night still and they haven't heard from her? Like, is she, <laughs> she captured? <laughs> nope. She's back. Fortunately, she made it. Yeah. Uh, she says that the tongue, well, they're out. It's earlier than I wanted, but they're all eager to prove themselves and they're effectively teenagers. I was like, oh, okay, then yeah, it's time for them to start doing real things. They will be much um, better off psychologically if they're in the real world doing real things than being stuck in a basically prison school. So thumbs up from me for what's going on. You know, she's like, someone, someone mentioned teenagers. I, I want to say, I, I hear someone mentioned young adults with full <laughs> autonomy and responsibility. <laughs> that sounds literally perfect. That is yeah. what should happen with young adults. I, I, I think it's, uh, it's not repetitive. It's, um, it's, it's driving a point, right? You, you know, th- this is a change you want to see in the world to make the point once and just drop it. Like, congratulations, you wrote a philosophy essay, right? No, you're, you're, you're going to like, no, I'm going to keep doing this till people start agreeing with me. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. And I think like full is maybe jumping the gun a little bit, but increasing um, responsibility and autonomy and uh, getting into the world and doing stuff without like necessarily having 100% full right out the go. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's, that's one of the things I dislike about school. It isolates people in a prison as opposed to letting them interface with the real world and take on new responsibilities and, and and doing things in the world and becoming autonomous. We should just do an anti-school episode of the Beijing conspiracy at some point, but there's so much that's already been said on that. Tell you what, I won't read any of it and I'll just come at it with original, you know, raw ass thoughts that will turn out to look really stupid. So, um, sounds like a plan. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so Amarillo shows up and she's exhausted and she wants to cuddle before she goes to bed. Something, Mm. something. Oh, I heard about court, you know, earth studies, cortisol, and yeah. I I think she just wanted to cuddle, which is totally fine. Yes. She's she's yeah, kind of drifting off, mumbling, intimate touch, care decreases cortisol levels, which lowered stress. I thought it was so cute. It was really sweet. Yeah. She yeah, she's yawning as she's explaining, like, oh, cortisol levels, stress, and and it's like, no, you just wanted to cuddle. That's adorable. Yeah. And, and oh yeah, in fact he even says that. It sounds like an excuse from someone looking to cuddle. Mm-hmm. what is and she, she's like what is like she, she she's slurring tired and like oh mm-hmm. that's adorable mm-hmm. and um she has like that little myoclonic jerk when you're falling asleep and uh which i just learned about like in the past year yeah it's it's uh some some people it's like you know non-existent other people it's like a half a body convulsion it's really interesting yeah. okay. and 
I liked that because he mentions that it was one of those little relative revelatory moments that it made me first think that made me think firsts actually did matter because I was never going to get that discovery a second time. He discovered it uh, hanging out with Tiff or sleeping at Tiff's house. Oh, right. Yeah. And it's just a fun way to illustrate the awesome novelty of being one of that day's lucky 10,000. Yeah. And uh, I liked that, that description of it. Um, And uh, what was the last thing here? Oh, so he's getting up um, from, uh, like his cuddle with Amaryllis after she falls asleep. Cause he's not sleeping. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ran his fingers through her hair and she shifted against him, making a little sound of their throat that I interpreted to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh God, my boo does the same thing. And so does our kitty. I, I, with our cat, I call it her activation noise. Um, <laughs> anyone with the cat knows what I'm talking about. It's asleep and you go pet it and does like the, it's really huh. cute. Okay. Um, so he says that after an hour alone with her, he slipped out from under, Amaryllis letting her turn over and then putting a blanket over her. I wanted to kiss her, but I didn't know she wanted to be kissed. So I held back mm. and I'm like, see Bethel, this is how to human. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Air on the side of Nope. And believe them when they say no. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, this is a nice moment. You know, I think a, a forehead kiss, you know, a cheek kiss would have been perfectly appropriate. Um, if they had that kind of relationship, but the thing is he doesn't know that. So obviously air on the side of no. Yeah. Um, and all right. Oh, you didn't pull this out. This is how the chapter ends. So two things. One, he he's like, I oh, shakes off those thoughts and he has to go train because he has responsibilities after all. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, man, this is like, I think the first time he's mentioned the hero's burden. Hmm. Am Maybe I wrong? He, I, I'm not sure, but I also feel like he certainly didn't shoulder the hero's burden early on. He was more like, wee, fun, smash things, whatever, you know, and and now he's finally actually feeling the, the, the responsibilities and the weights of the world and taking them seriously. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, there there weren't real weights or problems before, you know, or like the gravity wasn't there. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't, I don't think he realized that things had consequences. He just woke up and there were zombies and he was getting experience points. Um, yeah. I think that's, you know, one of the lo- big changes that have happened over the past 169 chapters. And I think that's, it's a cool evolution in the book. I feel like I've grown with him as that's happened. Yeah, me too. I, again, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to the reread about. Um, I'll probably give it some time, but I'm looking, I will reread this. Maybe just the, the audiobook um, once I'm done. But the the tone shift was gradual and great. So again, mm-hmm. more more good retro content. Sorry, we'll skip past it. And I'll just mm-hmm. say that in the morning, the delegation from the Draconic Confederacy Order of Air Supremacy and God damn it, whatever. <laughs> the the Dragon Company showed up. And it's it's Draconic Confederacy's Order of Air Supremacy Enforcement. That's There we go. That's too many. Um anyway. Uh Amaryllis had been expecting a functionary and dreading a dragon. Instead, we've got two dragons. <laughs> so Fun on a bun. They'd better not be idiots about their brief entry into the no-fly zone. <laughs> I think they're sending two dragons because they're like, thank you for your service. We'd like to make you honorary members of our club. Here's two medals, one from each of us. But let's be real. Uh, the DM is like, haha, let's kick him while he's down. <laughs> yeah. And the dragon, no, let, let's give him two dragons. Yeah. And let's take away his house, too. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. Well. We got two dragons. You know, he tries to punch all his problems. We'll give him a dragon for each fist. See how he handles that. If they were still in Leo, he could have maybe done an e- he had an easier time. 
I mean, I suppose if they were engulfed him in flame, he couldn't breathe. So, yeah, he yep. does still need air because he's still a squishy human. But all right, these dragons. I'm desperate to see how things shake out with them. So, let's, well, let's fortunately get there. for you, there's going to be four chapters coming up. Awesome. Uh, they're kind of long. I'm not sure how how I feel about four chapters, but fuck it, we're going full four here. We'll do it. All right, cool. Uh, so the next four chapters are 170 through 173, and those are 170 on treating with dragons. One no guesses for guessing which that one's about. Yeah, 171. Blood is thicker than water. Hmm. One 172. Respec. Nice. And, I thought it was going to be called Stats for Nerds Chapter 3. Uh, and 173 Passions. Okay, okay. Well, I I know what half of these are about, and the other two I'll have to find out. So uh, the only way to do that is if we can get off the air, I eat dinner, and then start reading. So I will tell everybody that y'all rock for listening. Thanks for coming in. Um, y'all can find us on Patreon by clicking the link in the show notes. Uh, Alexander Wales has a Patreon as well. If you have to pick, I would say give it to him. Enosh would say give it to us, and we'll share it with him. Um, and <laughs> hmm. am I wrong? I guess you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong, but I wouldn't have said it that way, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. I'm... Didn't Val have something to say about that? Like, just say the thing? Of course, she probably said that while she was full of devils, so forget yeah, it. Yeah, see? Um, yeah, that's, that's devil talk. My bad. <laughs> um, all right. Uh I, I, before we go, I just want to plug again that the Worth the Candle audiobook is avail, uh, available for pre-order right now. Uh, soon will be available to listen to directly into your ears. Uh, it covers the first three books uh, that we've read through, I ch- think, chapter 48, 49, something like that. Uh, so, yeah, get that. It's great. Uh, you will be happy that you did. That's really exciting. Is there any sort of timeline on the uh, the next books? Uh, I asked him, and he didn't say... Uh, he didn't give me a date. No, he just said he's working on it quickly and uh, the ebook uh, will be available as soon as possible. And then, you know, the further ones uh, after that as well. Plus, yeah, he's continuing fine. to, you know, write at his crazy fast pace with uh, this used to be about dungeons. So, well, he's not recording the audiobook, is he? No, 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 no. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, that's basically what I want is to be able to listen to these chapters. <laughs> Like as, well, as I'm reading them, I got you. Oh, God. or not not whilst reading them, but I read them and then listen to them, so I get them twice before the episode. Yeah, uh, maybe, but maybe, maybe our last chapter will be out in time with the audiobook. We'll see. I was gonna say maybe like the the final final arc or whatever. Yeah. All right. Well then, uh, speaking of Alexander Boyles, shout out to you, man. Thanks again for making this game. Uh, remember, this is his game. We're just playing it. Hell yes. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Alexander Wales. Thanks, all of y'all, and see you next week. High five. <laughs>